home, rocking your ears, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Fear not. You'll have your mask on and we'll be in your ear holes for 20 20 90 plus minutes actually we're gonna be in your ear holes a long time today this is gonna be a long one of gaming goodness because dlc is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our sponsor this week squarespace 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 brings the show to you dlc of course the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada. This spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who's here on, I think, our longest episode of DLC of all time, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Everybody, this is the fifth time Jeff's done this intro. We've lost four episodes already. They've each been four hours long. Not that longest. <laughs> not that longest. No, we got we got a full, full show for you. We got tons of news to talk about. We got tons of games to talk about. And, and at the end of this episode, we've got a full over one hour Spoiler-filled discussion, deep dive into The Last of Us Part 2. No other podcast with Christian Spicer on it will have such in-depth discussion of The Last of Us Part 2. That is my guarantee to you people. Not until July 7th. You're right. You are correct. <laughs> uh, but we, uh, we, got, uh, we got David Chen from the Slash Filmcast and from Culturally Relevant Podcast to join us. We got Dan Trachtenberg, big-time Hollywood director. Uh, to join us, uh, personal friend of Neil Druckmann, uh, and uh, and we had a really really excellent full on uh, deep dive into the game. Dave uh, did not like the game, and uh, the, overstating the three... it. And people can listen. He liked it less than the rest of us. I don't. Think yeah, I think he provided dislike. a counterpoint. He provided a strong counterpoint. Anyway, you'll hear all of it if if you would like to hear uh, spoilers, if you've played the last of us part two, I urge you to listen to the last hour of this podcast, because I, I think it's a really great discussion. But if you haven't, and you're wanting to avoid spoilers, we're going to make it easy for you. Uh, we'll, we'll flag it. It's at the end of the show and you'll still have 90 plus minutes of awesome gaming content because we have a fantastic guest to dig into the news, to talk about games we've been playing. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm so excited because DLC stands for Dialogue for Legendary Characters. Because we have the writer on Mortal Kombat 11 and Injustice 2, as well as the image comic book Heart Attack, Sean Kittleson joins us for the first time. Hey, Sean. Hey, that was epic. That was well, awesome. Thank you for it that. It is it is a, a fraction of what you deserve. We're we're fans <laughs> of your work. We're excited to have you. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to be a guest on the show, just make several AAA, be part of the team that makes several AAA video games that I love and also a comic book that I can't stop talking about. And it's that easy. It's that easy. That's, that's, it's that, that's all you got to do. Just clear those those small hurdles. 
and then text with me for about a year about random stuff. And then eventually we'll find the time. <laughs> hey, you know, that's actually a great point. Well, before we get into the show, and yes, we are going to have a big, long, meaty show. So, I don't, you know, we, we got to get into it. But we have you here, Sean. And I'm curious for folks listening, how does one become a writer for video games? How does, the, how does that job happen to a person? Um, I think it happens differently for everyone who's in it. Uh, I, I haven't really met two people who got in the same way. Some people get in through QA and then work their way over to a design or, or a story department and then find their way into writing. Um, others come in from other mediums or media. Can't talk tonight. Uh, I, I actually, I studied playwriting in college uh, wow. at NYU. And I really thought that I was going to be writing film and television. Uh, and I did, I sold a screenplay right out of school and I was getting writing work and things were going really well. And then the economy crashed <laughs> and, and there was Which a time. Well, you gotta, you gotta be more yeah. specific. <laughs> uh, this, was, this was an earlier economy crashing, uh, in 2008. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, and so I, I needed a job and I had worked for an author named Douglas Rushkoff, uh, as his editorial assistant. And I told him, Doug, I, I really, really need money. And he was like, I'd love to help you. And I was like, no, I'm not hitting you up. I need this job and I can't get an interview with DC comics. And he said, well, I'll, I'll call Paul. And that was Paul Levitz, who was the publisher yeah. and CEO of DC at the time. So I was actually, I believe I am the, the last person hired under the old DC regime uh, before the move to the West coast. Wow. Um, and I was also one of the first people to move out um, to the West coast. So that was my first job in games was this, this, I saw a gig for assistant editor interactive, and it looked like the, the job was all about come play our games and tell us if Batman and Superman are authentic. And I was like, <laughs> I can do that. I've got, a, I've got a degree in dramatic writing and a Superman tattoo on my back. I, I was born for this. Uh, and, and that's, that was my way in. I ended up working with studios like Rocksteady. Um, nether realm and forge relationships that ultimately you know brought me to writing injustice 2 and mortal Kombat 11 with dominic cianciolo over at nether realm and uh and and to some of the work that i do now so for sure it's been a long awesome. a long road but the road the road is different for everyone i always say you gotta kind whatever your way in you gotta find it whether it's it's you know eating your humble pie and asking somebody like i really need a recommendation I really need help. I can't do this myself. Um, do it. Do what you got to do. Because uh, yeah. there is always a way in. I thought you like wrote for TV for years, like decades, really. And then you realized after 50 years of writing for TV that you weren't satisfied. So you turned the hourglass over. Reset time. <laughs> um, if if only I back. could reboot 2020. Yeah. I, I've, been, I've been praying to Kronika. <laughs> right. I think it's amazing that you're in a position now where you're like, I wrote on a fighting game more than one. I wrote on fighting games and everybody's like, wow. You know what I mean? Like not too long yeah. ago, writing on a fighting game wasn't even really a job, you know, and how, no. how NetherRealm has created these fighting games that have awesome stories that are really well written. The cutscenes are look like TV, feel like TV. Uh, you know, or, you know, whatever movies, whatever you want to say, they look amazing. And uh, I think that's a credit to, to you and the team. It's, it's really elevated 
a genre that, you know, really wasn't known for story. It's, it's being on that team was such an incredible honor and something that I think was a really unique moment in fighting game history to me, because I grew up with Mortal Kombat. Like I was a Mortal Kombat kid when I was too young to really see over the over the joysticks and and (laughs) (laughs) i was the kid that all the older kids were swatting away like get out of here kid scram but i I was so into it and i remember my dad taking me to see the movie and then to grow up and end up working with netherrealm uh making a game about the past and the future colliding or the past and the present colliding uh and working with ed boon and a lot of the original team members as well as now multiple generations of, of fans who grew up loving these games and got the chance to make them professionally. And it has brought out the A game and everyone that I know on that team. It's great. That's really cool. It shows, it shows those games are fantastic. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump in and talk about some gaming news and start the way to start the show, the way we always do the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It's where you can send story suggestions, comments, questions, anything. We love hearing from you at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also visit our subreddit where folks hang out, talk about the show, talk about video games and all sorts of things. A great community over at five by five dlc.reddit.com all right sean you are our guest so you get first pick of stories what would you consider to be your story of the week oh wow i think my personal one uh was cyberpunk 2077 getting so much coverage all of a sudden uh, whether the night city wire episode that that aired uh yeah. after a delay or the impressions pouring in and i'm wondering are, are you two gentlemen among the many people who have had access and, and hands-on with this game sadly no we are not uh oh. i'm 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 a little jealous of some of my uh my my colleagues who had uh been handpicked to get uh early play time but i also kind of feel like i i'm ready to just jump into that game i don't need uh to play for four hours and then not get to continue that <laughs> that that moment that journey that save game uh but i am definitely jealous but yeah you're right there's <laughs> been a lot of new info uh as you said we're getting um side content filling out the universe the lore of the world i'm sure as a writer that's that seems particularly cool for you right oh absolutely and you know there's a studio in cd project red that is known for one of the best narratives if not the best narrative of of the generation in witcher 3 and they they seem to be doing something that no one else can do, which is, yeah. it's, it's, it's an incredible feat. Well, it's, it's neat that, you know, obviously cyber cyberpunk 2077 is built on an existing property. It's a tabletop role-playing game that's been around for decades. So it's not, it's not starting from zero, but it also, I think is pretty cool that they recognize that this isn't just the next game for them. This really is a new pillar for their studio, a new franchise that has a huge world with all kinds of really interesting content that's been built it over decades. Uh, and it sounds like the game is very, very true to that, those tabletop roots that, that it is drawn from. But, you know, this anime series, 
uh, from Studio Trigger, uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Sounds really cool. It, it really feels like this is this is going to be a major part of what CD Projekt Red does for a, for a long, long time. I can't imagine them taking this long to launch it and then watching it dry up. I, I, I think right. we're going to be seeing Cyberpunk for a while. Uh, hopefully, it has the kind of life that Grand Theft Auto has had this generation. Yeah. Based yeah, on I mean, the stuff that you've seen so far, Sean, what what is in this early coverage has you most excited? I think Brain Dance. Um, the the how important multiple perspectives are going to play in to not only can you choose one of three characters or three scenarios to begin the game with, but that as you play the game, you're constantly taking on the role of others. Uh, there's something really powerful about that. Mm. Uh, and and learning through other people's memories, I think, is something that way back in the day, working on Arkham Origins with um, WB Montreal, the, the attempts to input more investigation and detective work, I've seen how difficult that work can be and how tough it is to scale it. And what they've done is so ambitious and so uh, such an excellent puzzle of sorts to include within a game that, that you would never expect to have that much control over scrubbing back and forth. It's almost like they put the invisible hours, the VR game where you can scrub through time back and forth into an RPG that already had plenty of mechanics and systems to support it. Didn't need this extra thing, but here you go. It's it's a huge extra piece of the world now. Christian, have you been uh, checking out some of this early coverage? What, what is your, your high points from it yeah i mean i think it's super impressive like for starters apparently the the demo like the visuals are are incredible right like apparently the demo is running through um geforce now and um for a lot of folks and like ray tracing on and maybe locked at at 1080p because of that but i mean just the visuals i've seen in like the the 4k trailer that cd project red upload red uploaded is just that neon drenched city with ray tracing and the water and everything. It it just looks like a world that I want to just like explore, you know, like the Assassin's Creed uh, history mode (laughs) kind of approach. I think I just want to kind of get lost in that world and walk around it a little bit. Um, But I'm very curious to, to spend a bunch of time with this game because the trailer they released for it that came out, you know, the same time as like the, the story trailer, there was a lot of talk when The Last of Us 2, I think it was like their first trailer, second trailer came out like, oh my gosh, this game looks so violent, it's so brutal. Um, and it goes for like a more realistic, like brutality style approach, in my opinion. But this trailer for Cyberpunk, it was very violent, like very violent and violent and action packed. And like, uh, it, it, to me, I got the impression like, isn't this cool? It was like explosions blowing up people, murdering people and being badass, like like bombastic, like music hitting. And it was a super impressive trailer, but I got like that more action movie style vibe from it. And then as I read through people's experiences playing the games, it's like, oh, this is a deep RPG. You know, I could spend an hour in a menu, (laughs) you know, if I wanted to obsessing over what I'm doing and, and how I'm changing my character. So I'm really curious to see kind of how CD Projekt Red walks that line between 
a potentially bombastic, action-packed, steal a car, blow up a train, kill everyone in a room, jump out the window, you know, land in a dumpster and escape kind of huge action set piece style game and brain dance, you know, where you, 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 <laughs> you can spend four hours just shifting, scrubbing, realizing, doing whatever it is. And I have at this point every expectation that they will somehow find that balance. And that's based solely on the Witcher three. Whereas I watched, you know, Witcher one to Witcher two and then Witcher three, I think they really did find that nice balance between third person action hack and slash, which is maybe a little derivative, um, not the right word, but style gameplay, but also with very deep RPG mechanics. Um, If you want to play the game that way, you can also play story mode and, you know, kind of ignore a lot of that stuff. So to me, that's the thing I'm most interested about for cyberpunk is kind of how it balances that deep RPG style gameplay with um, a run and gun shoot 'em up style. I don't know. It, it, it yeah. blows me away. Yeah. I, I remember sitting there at E3, however many years ago that was now two, three years ago, was it that they first debuted the gameplay footage and it was that crazy behind closed doors. And here we are, we're going to see cyberpunk for the first time. And all of a sudden it's first person shooter. Yeah, and yeah. that to me was the, my biggest worry is, oh, I don't, I don't want to play this game like Call of Duty. And I, I don't think we will. Clearly there are systems and systems and systems. And there's a lot of role playing stuff. All of the shots are being calculated. Those dice rolls and RNG are all happening behind the, under the hood. Uh, but it also, I, I think they kind of are making it possible for people to play it in a very Call of Duty kind of way. I think there is a play style there that is that is viable and it'll be interesting. I think you're right. I think it'll be interesting to see how that all balances out and how it feels and what what um what your instincts will make you want to do as as somebody that's played a lot of first person shooters, do you, will you feel like you're supposed to go in guns blazing and maybe you are. Maybe maybe you can play the game that way, but I'm certainly more interested in a more uh, considered role playing game. I mean, that's not how I really played The Witcher, right? There's a lot of hacking and slashing in that game, but there's also like plan, plans, research, this make oil your traps. sword, and yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm sure that'll all be there too, you know. Um, but it, it's a it's a different thing. It's I have to I keep having to say this over and over that I was ready for Cyberpunk to be a skin for Witcher Three. You know, I, I thought it was going to be, hey, what if we, what if The Witcher, but future. You know, but 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 cyberpunk, um, I would have been perfectly fine with that. And the idea here that they're actually doing something wildly different from The Witcher and and reinventing how their games are played is exciting, but also to me a little a little scary, just because I liked The Witcher a lot and I like third person action <laughs> games a lot. You know, well, I think so. I think you've seen them on their learning curve from Witcher one two to three. And yeah. they've they've grown and adapted in a lot of ways in a rock steady like fashion uh, from something that was more limited in scope to something that was a bit more ambitious to something that was a lot more ambitious. And they, they keep every time they take a bigger bet. And it seems like this time, uh, obviously, it's it's a it seems like a far bigger bet. But I have to imagine that everything they've learned collectively as a studio is is really coming in handy and making this possible. It, it does seem like a. In the way that a lot of the bigger games now seem, including Last of Us 2, you're like, well, this is a rare event because how often yeah. can a team come together, 
with this level of experience, with this level of funding, uh, that they can sustain production for as long as they need to, with as many bodies as they need to, in order to create this thing that shouldn't exist. It's impossible. And yet it does. Yeah. Boy, the last few months of this console cycle are just like, wow, you know, megatons being dropped uh, all over the place. Um, but luckily we don't have to wait too long for cyberpunk 2077 because my, my sources tell me it's out in June. So, uh, <laughs> here, here we are. Wait, what, what's that? What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. It's out in September. What, wait, what's that? What's that? It's not out in September either. Oh, November 19th. Okay. November 19th until, until notified again, November 19th is, uh, when we all will be playing cyberpunk 2077, but I, yes, we all want them to make the best game they can and delay it as much as possible, as much as needed. All right, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? There's lots of juicy stuff, man. There's a lot. What a week. We're like, what? it's faux E3, you know? What a week. Sean, blink twice if I'll be playing the next uh, Arkham or Batman game within the next 12 months. Great. Got that confirmed. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Um, there is news there, but that's not really what I want to talk about. My story of the week is the other deep dive that we've seen in a game that's coming out soon, um, still soon. We got... What do they call it? War stories or something? I don't remember what they called it. Uh, but the Avengers. We got a bunch of Marvel's Avengers information. We got... Christian, new- but I, yeah. I don't mean to cut you off, but I have to say that I think this story is officially part of the Summer of Games. It's the Summer of Games on TLC. You're gonna get hyped up in the news. will live up to your expectations. I think that might apply for this, too. I think it might. Uh, I hope I just it doesn't set everybody's set everybody's expectations correctly. Uh, are you are you guys over the hype cycle? Is am I am I detecting that? I'm not. I, th- you'll notice it's not my voice at the end of that lovely clip from Sean Madigan. Uh, yeah. I'm not over the hype cycle. Uh, I, I feel like oftentimes, you know, the hype doesn't live up to expectations. That's all. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll ask you at the end of the show, Sean, how this episode went to you. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So sorry, Christian. I just wanted to uh, frame that correctly. All right. Marvel's yes. Avengers. New info. Big. A lot of new info. We got a uh, new trailer. Deep dive into what kind of the pve style gameplay will be like the hero missions or like the single player where you you kind of play as one hero we saw um kamala and we saw um thor levels um and we saw the customization uh war zones that's what the co-op stuff is called um and, and you know what i think i'm excited i don't know <laughs> i don't know if you all watch it but I think it's weird. So here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. Warzone stuff, it looks a lot like Destiny, right? In my opinion, in terms of like, it's going to have a campaign that maybe will help get you progress through and leveled up, but it's not going to be, I don't anticipate it being 30 hours or something like that. And then you're going to have these war zones where you're grinding and leveling up and gearing up. And as we talked about, Destiny 2 is one of my favorite games of, I forget what it was, like this past decade or whatnot. So now it looks like they're taking that and putting some of my favorite comic book characters of all time into a game. And they have the combat designer who designed God of War's hammer throw, I believe uh, is now part of this team as well, or ax throw. And it's like, 
this is all the things I like. They they took chocolate and peanut butter and put them together. But I still think I only think I'm excited. It's weird. I'm not sure why I'm not. What's like, holding you back? Yeah. What's what's the what's holding you back? Because I saw this and I I'm legit super excited. Like the co-op stuff. The gameplay looks really fun. I understand that that first trailer they showed was a little underwhelming in terms of uh, looking like next gen or something. But this isn't next gen. It's a current gen game. And uh, I, I don't I think, know, man. I'm a, I'm, I'm so into Marvel stuff. I think this is it. One, uh, and I hope I'm wrong. Like, I'm very excited for the game, but I think these are things that I'm just like not quite there yet with it. Um, I find games where you spend most of your time just like blowing up kind of nondescript looking robots often to be kind of boring. Uh, I don't know why that is, uh, but I'm just like, oh, here's this robot. Like, where, how are they? I mean, that is destiny. That's destiny. No, it's, it's not destiny. Destiny, you're killing aliens. Oh. Very important distinction. It is to me. It really is. It, it really is something about like just the horde of robots just really gets me excited. And then war zones, I, I, I want to see how they do some sort of story or connective tissue through that. Like if it is just like very distinct things where you go in and grind through, I, I, I think that's what's missing for me is the wrapper that pulls it all together. But I will say after watching this presentation, uh war table what do they call it i'm much more excited for the game than i was after e3 i think it was war table war table yeah war zones is is the uh solo ai hero companions or co-op groups of up to four for uh avengers um and i think this is the first time we've really even seen the co-op stuff uh, i mean it was a montage obviously it wasn't like fully showing it but they showed some some of the menu system and everything um sean did you i, I don't know i don't know how much your allegiance is to dc or if you're sort oh. of oh um... <laughs> not not at all i mean i love okay. i'm a i'm a superman person that's my like way into all geek culture that's that's my my root but mm -hmm. i have a son named clark whose favorite superhero is spider-man and he would he <laughs> would far prefer you? yeah he would far <laughs> prefer to have been named peter <laughs> um, and, and fortunately, like I grew up at a time before Marvel versus DC really mattered to anybody. Um, I was just happy that another kid knew who, what comic books were all about. <laughs> right. So yeah. does your son know that he was actually named after Clark Diggleborn, who was just a friend of your dad's. <laughs> uh, he, he's named Clark cause he's a little gentleman. That's, that's what his mom. Oh, that's great. Um, but no, I, I, I mean, I love Marvel. I think uh, Spider-Man for me um, is up there in my, my top two, maybe favorite superhero games of all time, along with Arkham. Uh, so as a, Arkham as a franchise, I would put Arkham franchise and Spidey franchise are now neck and neck <laughs> as my favorite superhero franchises in games. But yeah, this, this, I, I was, I saw the E3 presentation last year. And I remember feeling kind of numb after it. This feels better and more polished. I am cautiously cynical about the quality of combat interactions only because mm -hmm. it's even for a studio as big uh, as, as crystal there's, it's a lot of different characters and modes to take on and to polish and, and have work effectively with each other. And the robot enemies that we've seen that Christian pointed out, they, they are kind of concerning. 
because they make you wonder how interesting combat can be, how boss battles will play out uh, in ways that won't be quick time events. Uh, what, what will the systems add up to? There's so much of this game to see though. I, I could also chalk all of my misgivings up to messaging problems because they have mm-hmm. so much to communicate. And this game from day one has suffered from a, a real critical question, I think, in consumer eyes, which is, what is it? Is it a... <laughs> yeah, what is it? What is it? We know it has Avengers in it, but what is it? Destiny yeah. suffered yeah. that same problem. And so did Destiny 2. <laughs> you know, people are like, how different? What is it? Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's think- a tough strategy. Yeah. I think that's an astute observation. The my only retort is Modoc? It's got Modoc. I I'm Modoc. in because it has Modoc and they showed Modoc and Modoc's in it and now I'm super excited because Mike's on Modoc. <laughs> I was not vibing on the story when it was uh, more focused on A Day and yeah. Cap's sacrifice and all that, especially I think coming right off Avengers Endgame, I was like, all right, I've seen enough of these guys die. Let's, let's, let's go yeah. easy on them. Uh, but I do think that, it, at least in this week's footage, Kamala Khan made such an impression on me that I was like, okay, they're doing right by her, and the way that she's presented in the story feels like a, a great role for that character. And, and I, hope, I hope the story's great. Uh, yeah. I, I hope I can enjoy it with my son. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm super excited. I... It's funny. There's so much stuff coming out in the next four months that, uh, or I guess it's more than that, six months. But uh, I, I, I kind of forgot this game was this year, and I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm super excited about this. I, there's so many things that that September, October, November is just going to be unrelenting, <laughs> a, a a drink from the fire hose of video games, and uh, and I'm, only- I'm here for it. I, no disrespect to someone launching a game in August that I'm forgetting, but I feel like August is the only little breath we have. It's it's just. Oh, I'm sure there's August stuff that we are not. I'm thinking sure there right is now. too. I, the, yeah. but I mean, like that's yeah. the only maybe breath I can think of, and then because we got July stuff, big yeah. July stuff, and then I'm sure there's August stuff, and then September hits. I mean, this is September fourth, yeah. right as September begins. So uh, July July is going to beat me up between Paper Mario. Uh, yeah. Ghost of Tsushima, yeah. Iron Man VR. I know Iron Man VR is. By the time you hear this show, it's it's out. I on Friday, I guess it's maybe maybe by the time you hear the show. By the time you yes. hear this show, the one person listening on Friday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, lots. There's so much news to talk about. I, I think my story of the week is going to be something that isn't super new that we heard this week, but, but we haven't talked about it yet on the show. And I think it was the first time it's actually been really confirmed. And that is that there is going to be a hardware subscription for the Xbox series X. This is something that I've been talking about on podcasts for so long. I mean, since the earliest we have, since the earliest weekend confirmed days, we would talk about, you know, as soon as the iPhone came out, really, in like 2007, 2008, and there was these subsidized cell phones became the norm for like 10 years, uh, everybody was like, well, why not do it in, in the console space? Why not have a subsidized console? If, the, if they're making money on the software anyway, why not help you get into the console by paying a subscription fee or having some sort of 
uh, way that that is all backloaded so that you like get the, the console free loan. We've seen some stuff of that too. It's like, it ends up being about the same price, but right. you're paying it o- over months instead of, you know, $600 up front or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, the idea, uh, you know, where you get your cell phone, you pay your, you pay your, uh, your cell phone bill and that is for the service and they give you a phone for free. So many of us had said for years and years and years, seems like something that could happen in the video game space. Uh, and it sounds like for finally that is going to happen. Xbox Series X console, according to Phil Spencer, will ha- will have a uh, hardware subscription service. Now, this is actually something they've been doing already. Uh, it's called Xbox All Access. They've been sort of test marketing it. It's been rolled into Xbox Live Gold uh, and Xbox Game Pass, and uh, it's been successful in a in small markets but it sounds like we will be seeing this rolled out on a national if not global scale uh with the launch of the xbox series x so the the idea here is that you pay monthly and you get the box you don't have to pay the 499 or 399 or whatever it's going to be up front but you get yourself a shiny new console generation and it's rolled into your xbox live gold uh, maybe your maybe your subscription goes up, maybe a, a little, maybe a lot. We don't know the specifics, but I think the idea of this happening is is pretty interesting. And Sean, I'm curious if you think it's a net positive for consumers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think we are this year more than any other in, in a console transition that I can remember. Um we're in a position where I don't know how many people can really afford a $500 or $700 purchase. Yeah. Um, and especially the, you know, the, the economics, particularly in the United States uh, shift toward debt spending uh, and people not having larger amounts of money to spend. That's why subscription models are taking root the way that they are. It, it really is about meeting consumers where their wallets are. You can attract a lot more people with that monthly fee than you can with that larger ticket price, even if it earns out over time, it doesn't really matter. It's more about what you have today, not how much you could have tomorrow uh, yeah. for, for so many people. So I, I do see it as opening up and making these this next generation of consoles accessible to people who I think would be priced out. Yeah, it's pretty interesting that Microsoft is doing so many things to make this next generation um, like cell phones. I mean, really, honestly, that I think they've really learned from the Apple's model and and Samsung's model that, uh, you know, the the line calling it the Xbox Series X feels like they are embracing this series of hardware SKUs. We've heard they're not going to have exclusives to Series X for the first year that it's out. That everything that they publish first party wise will be backwards compatible to Xbox One. So that if you buy an Xbox One, uh, you can play Halo Infinity, for example. Halo Infinite, excuse me. Um, it, it, it feels very much like embracing that idea of, you know, whichever iPhone you have, you can play pretty much everything. There's only going to be a few things that aren't going to work on the new iPhone for a few years or for a year at least. Uh, and and the pricing model, it, it, it sounds like they're they're borrowing that as well. And I think the net will be, more accessible to more people, like more people can jump in. But Christian, you know, a lot of people criticize cell phone companies 
for this, for tying you into two-year contracts and stuff like that and feeling like that's not something that is beneficial to a lot of people? Is it, Are you concerned about that in any way? Well, I think cell phone contracts and, and like Apple, you know, they kind of have their own trade-up program. I think a lot of that stuff has become less predatory than it was before where they would really lock you in and you couldn't switch and there were all these penalties. And if you really added up what you were paying and all these fees and it, it just kind of became exorbitant. And now I think those costs are a little more clear. There are still certainly problems with it, in my opinion. Um, but I think with what they've been doing with Xbox All Access, with um, Xbox One X and, and stuff before, I think they've shown an awareness to being upfront with what the costs are and breaking it out. And like, it's over this two-year period. If you get rid of it before that, you know, you have to pay this amount. And it it wasn't that much more if any, maybe it's like $10 if I'm remembering correctly, then like just paying it all up front. And they're just trying to get you into the system. And I think it's a smart way to do it. And if people are hopefully, you know, still budgeting themselves appropriately and that they know they want to have this console for two years and have these these subscriptions, I think it's a great way to to provide that kind of entertainment to people that otherwise, you know, might not have access to it or would wait for that a year or two years for a hardware price drop. And I think the smart part about bundling it with their services, and if you have a box and Game Pass already, you're going to be playing a, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're going to be playing a lot of those games. And when Xbox's first party games are coming out to that service, it's it's hard when you're price shopping, um, you know, you know you're looking at the competition. It's like, well, I can get this box for $400, whatever it is, $400. And then I got to buy, okay, I want to buy that game and that game and that game. Okay, and I got to get the online subscription so I can play multiplayer with Call of Duty. Okay, so now I'm at $900, $1,000, or I can pay 40, I'm making up a number, $45 right now and be good. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> well, that that leads me to my next question, which is for both of you, is this the way you would buy an Xbox Series X? Sean, would you buy it up front or would you buy it via a, a subscription like this i am considering the subscription uh, i bought a day one uh xbox one and i've regretted it ever since uh, if only, <laughs> <laughs> i i love i love you know, microsoft games and and xbox has i think the the best ui of the generation uh however it, it has a faulty disk drive. It has all of the problems that you get from Gen 1 hardware. You and get that was, cool little stamp that says day one right on yeah. the little controller. <laughs> I saw, yeah, I saw my day one controller. Uh, but, but it's a collector's I, I, edition. I have, I have felt somewhat, the, the disk drive failed like within a year and I couldn't get it replaced. And I did kind of feel like a sucker ever since. So having the subscription option available to me is is attractive. There's also the problem of, spider-man miles morales coming out on the playstation 5 and my son pretty much from from the moment he saw the trailer just determining like we need that playstation 5 day one you know that right <laughs> you know that we need that you know that if if christmas comes and goes and the playstation 5 isn't here and spider-man isn't here i i can't live uh so so that that's i will renounce my clark hood yeah, <laughs> I will legally change my name to Peter, Dad. <laughs> I'm escalating this. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. Christian, what about you? You think you would do subscription style? So short answer is no. And here's the specific reason for why. I already have like 100 years of uh, Game Pass. 
So I don't need <laughs> I don't well you don't we don't know the specifics of the pricing or how that would all work. You don't know if it's a separate subscription from Game Pass. You don't know if they would bundle it. We don't know I'm exactly saying, like, how I have so much Game Pass and Xbox Live already that I mean if it's just the price of the console without those subscriptions, maybe. Uh but at the risk of being called out as a hypocrite later, which I, I very much welcome if I change my mind, I don't plan on buying an Xbox like ever. Whoa, what? I have a really great computer and and all of their games are i'm super curious how they sell me Mm. their and maybe they don't care you know i have a a good computer with a nice ssd uh good gpu um good cpu and they say their games are coming on it so i'm very curious if there are any advantages to playing it on their box versus just buying their games via game pass or the app that i have on my computer uh, but right now, if I had to guess, I'm going I'm to have a PS5 and use my PC for everything else. You think, do you really think that uh, Halo Infinite is going to be day and date on PC? I think they've said as much. Have they? Oh, maybe I'm just not. I mean, all their, all their games, Xbox Studio games have been since they announced that and they've announced it's coming to Windows 10. I have to imagine it is if they haven't. Yeah, I believe, I believe it is. I believe they're all now Xbox Play Anywhere. All right. Or, yeah, whatever well. they call it. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm looking at right now. Again, uh, as someone who was looking at like stupid cameras the other day, like tech lust is I have a problem. <laughs> so I don't, you know, in my PC, you know, computers can create their own problems. So I might be like, I just want to play the game, <laughs> you know. So I reserve the right to change my mind. But yeah, I really I do not plan on buying a new Xbox. I don't think Microsoft cares where you play. I I agree. Well, I think that's the messaging. Yeah. And, and I kind of, I'm a little surprised by it, but I also, I think it's a positive thing. I think to, to say, Hey, we're just trying to get these games to you, play them on the box you already own, play them on the PC you already own. As long as you're giving us your subscription fee to, to game pass and, or purchasing the game, we're, we're happy. I, I, I kind of think that's progressive and interesting for the whole industry. Think of it as as retention is a lot cheaper than user acquisition. So <laughs> that's true too. Uh, what, what yeah. they what they're what they're Very looking at, you know, overall market scale is that the console market will always be you know, somewhat larger in so many ways and more mainstream than the PC market. Yeah, and they if they can add in addition to the console revenue, which largely will not come from people who also own a high end PC. Yeah, uh, they, if they can also add your monthly subscription money to their offering on the on the console side, that just helps mitigate risks on their console venture. So, right, and certainly a game as large and expensive as Halo Infinite, it's nice to be able to sell it to the install base that you already have, both on PC and Xbox One, and not say, "Hey, this by its very nature smaller install base." Even if you sell a million consoles in Q4 2020, you're still a fraction of what you've already sold for those other install bases. So yeah, it I makes think, it makes financial sense. I think Absolutely. the only thing you're potentially missing out on is that like writing to the metal. You know, like what would The Last of Us 2 be like if it had to be on PC and support from sure. a you know a, a 960 up to a, a potentially you know 3080, whatever the yeah. next, you know, like how the, that kind of scales or tapping into the SSD instant load times. Like can't, could yeah. I play ratchet and clank on my computer? I don't know. I, they, you know, they're already, I think thinking that way though. Cause if you look at 
Last of Us 2, for example, you know there's going to be a, a really cool-looking PS5 version of that that's going to have all kinds of effects that you can't get on the PlayStation 4. So in so many ways, developers are already having to think that way. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've and, already been Cyberpunk is going to have a big patch at some point. Yeah, yeah. Patch exactly. For the the addition, specific edition, you know? So yeah, like right. Cross-gen, cross-buy makes that, it really changes the economics for developers. Because whereas before you, if you were going to support the higher end hardware, you knew that you were going to have dedicated revenue coming in for that, for that title, for those features. Now you have to design for a whole spectrum that runs from the Xbox one up to the series X uh, for, from the PlayStation four, the PlayStation five, if you want to capture the Mac, the maximum audience size. And in Microsoft's case, you know, if you, if you want to play in Microsoft's pool right now, that's, that's the way that they're playing. They're very pro consumer and let you play anywhere on anything. So scaling like that. And and it's, I think not just in the console market, you see it in the mobile market because mobile CPU and, and graphics power has really pulled away in the last few years. And we still have to support iPhone six. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think what they are giving up by doing this, this way is, uh, they're basically conceding initial sales to PlayStation five. Uh, if if you're going to compare one-to-one console sales, I can't imagine they'll sell as many units of the console if they're not asking people to buy it in order to play Halo, right? If you can play Halo and not have to buy the this is this is the this is the Clark effect, right? Clark <laughs> says, "Hey, I want to play Miles Morales. The only way I can do it is to get a PlayStation Five. So, Dad, it better be under the tree come Christmas." Uh, that that same calculus isn't required for the for the big Microsoft releases, right? If you don't have to get the console, I'm certain fewer of them will be sold. Um, so that, I think that's an interesting thing, but then again, you know, we balance it out with this story, which is, well, maybe the, the counterbalance is, you know, Hey, mom and dad, I want a 500 slash $600 console in the PlayStation five for Christmas, or you can pay 45 bucks a month, which is again, a number we're making up out of nothing, but, um, and give me the new console under the, under the tree that, that may be the a balance for for those kind of uh, initial numbers we'll have Sean, to see i really hope your son's in college one day instead of taking like econ 301 101 and they talk about the clark effect it's like become the <laughs> <actual. laughs> all right uh, i want to take a second and thank our sponsor which is squarespace oh man websites we all need them we all use them. We all love them. Maybe you want to turn your cool idea into a website. Maybe you want to blog or publish content. Maybe you want to publish your work. Maybe you've got an actual business and you need to have it be online. Maybe you just want to announce anything, really. We're all staying at home. The only way we contact each other is with the internet. So why not build your website yourself? Instead of having to pay someone to make your website, instead of having to learn HTML, you can use the tools at Squarespace. Be simple. What you see is what you get. Drag and drop tools of Squarespace to build your own website. Make it yourself. Make it stand out. Make it look cool because you start with their professionally designed templates, but it's so simple to just move stuff around and change it and make it how you want. 
invariably you end up with something unique that expresses what you want to express with just a few clicks. It's so simple. Plus, they have powerful e-commerce functionality that you can just drop right in. You don't have to worry about how it's going to work. It all is seamless. Everything works for mobile right out of the box. You can buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions so you can get exactly the website you want to get people looking at your stuff. They've got built-in search engine optimization so people can see your stuff that way as well. There's never anything to patch or upgrade ever. They handle all of that in the background so you don't have to stress. But if you do have any stress, 24-7 award-winning customer support will help you work through it and they'll get whatever you need fixed in no time. Squarespace is the place that I built my website, jeffcanada.com. It's a place I constantly recommend to friends and family who say, hey, you're the guy on the internet. Uh, how do you make a website? I go, Ugh, it's simple. Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. That's where I send people. Check it out yourself. You'll get a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch your site, use the promo code Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word. Save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. That's squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me and the promo code Jeff sent me to get yourself 10% off. Thank you to Squarespace for supporting this show. All right, I would be remiss. I know we're already gonna be, this is gonna be a long episode. It's, it's amazing. It's a marathon, not a sprint. But I would be remiss having Sean here and not bring up this new tidbit of information about Rocksteady's next game, which evidently is going to be called Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Now, I don't know what information we can squeeze out of you. What I don't know what you know. I don't know what your opinions are, if you can even say your opinions. But I have to bring this up because you're here. And also because I know, Christian, you've been anxiously awaiting Rocksteady's next Game And it sounds like the domain Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League dot com has been purchased. It uh, evidently is the working title of the next Rocksteady game, which, you know, speaking of stuff that's happening in August, <laughs> uh, WB is having their. What's that? DC Fandom. DC Fandom. Yeah, we're having a we're having a uh, a big WB event that was going to be their E3 presentation in August. So invariably or not invariably so i i suspect we'll be seeing this game announced there alongside whatever the next gotham game is from montreal studio um but sean is there anything any insight or any opinions that you want to that you can share about this sure uh i mean i i was a creative exec for dc most recently eight years ago so that was the last time that I had like the full slate at my fingertips. And uh, certainly that predates anything that, that would be coming out now. When I left, we were pretty deep into story development for Arkham Knight. And I had played the first couple of milestone builds for that. But that game itself was still three years uh, out at least. So that's how far back my time at DC goes. And then other than that, I worked on Injustice 2, but... I was on the complete other side of the table than I was used to being on where on injustice one, I was the person at DC giving the notes and, and telling, telling NetherRealm what was authentic and, and, <laughs> and injustice two, uh, I, I was the one getting notes, uh, which was a, a really fun way to, to turn the tables on myself Like from yourself. You'd have one computer or you'd be like, here it is. You'd go to the computer and be like this. This is horrible. Here's what you need to change. 
Yeah, it was like a sequence straight out of Looper. Uh, <laughs> like, this guy doesn't get it. And then the, your response is, no, that guy certainly does not get it. Uh, but, but certainly, I think, you know, a Suicide Squad game of any kind, and I, like I said, I have no, the the projects that Rocksteady has been working on, I didn't know about Arkham VR before that came out, so that was a nice surprise. And when I caught up with the team at E3, the year that they debuted that, that was such a, a monumental moment for me. It was my introduction to VR, but that team is so, so talented and uh, suicide squad. If, if you actually go back and look news archives, the game uh, suicide squad game was announced in 2010 hmm. uh, at San Diego comic-con. I, I was there. And at the time uh, I had actually written one of the first pitches for that game as we were trying to get developers interested. So it was on me to break down a deck of what is the Suicide Squad? Who are the characters? What would be some interesting ways that they could be utilized in games? And then we'd go out and talk to developers and see if we could get them hyped. And um, there was a there was a project at one point that was not anything coming up now, but that was a canceled Suicide Squad project. I probably worked on more canceled DC games than I worked on <laughs> like games that actually got, got released. And I, I got to work on a bunch of classics, but you know, Superman games, Justice League games, Suicide Squad games, like the list. Please tell me there was a booster gold game in there somewhere. Oh, we tried. We tried so hard. Uh, That's what I want. So, so booster gold, like, and blue beetle was a real priority yeah. for us. So when injustice two came around and, and I got to write beetle, that was a real pleasure. That's cool. That's cool. But in any case, I, I think, you know, what whatever Rocksteady has been doing, uh, if they've taken this long, I have faith in them that it, it's going to be, if it is something as, as big as what Suicide Squad kills the Justice League sounds like it would be, uh, I, I can't wait. My only hope is that it's not too grim dark. Yeah. Like there's, there's, yeah. there's a real risk there of like, oh man, I don't want to go back into that, that too yeah. grim dark territory with these characters. I, I've been there plenty. So we'll see. That's my concern too, honestly, especially with that title where it's like, but I like the Justice League. Uh, I mean, I think the idea of having a, a fight where you're going up against Batman, you're going up against Superman. I mean, honestly, did that in, in Justice games, right? That's, yeah. that's a very fun notion and a, and a fun wish fulfillment to be like okay can i take down superman um that's that's a cool thing but again yeah the the world is so dark right now to have literally <laughs> the symbols for justice and truth and the american way be the enemy i mean i guess it's i guess it tracks i guess it tracks right now but <laughs> <gonna> man <laughs> it's rough it's rough i uh, uh it, it is yeah, as someone again who has like potential reservations with Avengers, even though I I do like Destiny, but what I really want is just more single player Destiny. I think if I look at my heart of hearts, to to me, I'm very curious if this is a you know a single player Rocksteady game or not. And yeah, f- maybe five on five, the Suicide Squad versus the Justice League. Maybe you can. Maybe I can play as Superman. Maybe. maybe uh... I I feel like with Suicide Squad, there's more room for that loot customization gear kind of thing without people getting so upset. I mean, we're we're talking injustice, and I think I really loved the progression and and kind of the grind in that game, and we saw it in later Mortal Kombat games. Um, But there was 
blowback from you know air quote fans when that was announced it was like that's not a real suit like <laughs> among oh, others yeah. and, and that used to be my job I, I used to be that's not the suit uh <laughs> but that was also i think the the way that i ended up working with ed boone and company was in, in so many ways it was my job to kind of be that person but not be that person and try to be an advocate and that's how i ended up working on story with them was, was you do that by advocate. you do that by, by coughing when you, <laughs> it wasn't the suit you know you can be that person <laughs> but you're not that person i had uh, ed and i had a, had a really uh amazing negotiation one day where where he came to the office for a, a meeting and a tour and before anything else he had brought pictures of batman and superman and he kind of like put them down on my desk in my office at dc and said let's let's figure these out here and now <laughs> and we, <laughs> and we settled up on, on Injustice 1, Batman and Superman. And you pulled That's out your funny. own pictures and you were like, here, take these and scene. Um. Oh, we were, we, were, we were detailed. But it was always you know, about preserving the spirit of the character and making sure they were recognizable while also you know, providing enough, enough ground for, for NetherRealm to do their thing, for Rocksteady to do their thing. Yeah. That's what I think produces the best games is not – hovering as as a licensor over the the people you're working with. I mean, I'm I'm the narrative director at Skybound now and I oversee all the Walking Dead games and it's the same I practice the same principle whenever we meet with a developer or someone's pitching a game or we're pitching someone, the first thing that that I say is, "Listen, we're not trying to get you to recreate some canon version of the Walking Dead story that you know from the comics. We want you to do something that you can put your own stamp on." And and that's that's the way to develop games. I think that's why CD Projekt Red has done so well with, with Witcher. Uh, yeah. they, they took their, their own initiative to, to expand the lore where they felt it was appropriate. And I, whatever Rocksteady does, it's going to be the most version of that thing, right? <laughs> like it's, it's not going to be a halfway half measure. It's going to be the most version of that game. So I, I expect it to be pretty seismic uh, whenever they announce whatever they plan to announce. Christian <laughs> Saints and Sinners on Quest release date already. <laughs> Sorry. I <can't. laughs> I get water. Um, excuse me. Christian, I know you are uh despite your need for water, uh, very excited. <laughs> very excited for Rocksteady's next as as we've all been waiting for it seems like forever now. I'm, I'm uh, is, uh, yeah. Is this what you were is this does this fall in the in the category of oh man what a pleasant surprise or is this fall in the category of, I wish they were doing something else. If it ends up being games as service style game, I my I'm going to be like, this isn't what I wanted, but I hope it's great. If it is, you know, single player narrative based, whatever. And I'm playing as, as Harley. Um, yes, please. Yes. Yes, please. I, I love the suicide squad. Um, most versions of them I find compelling. I love the idea of being a of playing a huge roster of disposable characters. I, there's so much fun that's been <laughs> yeah. had with the Suicide Squad, and they tried to do it in that first movie too. But it just to me that moment fell flat. But I, I love the idea of like who who is that? Oh, that's they're nobody. Okay, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of fun to be had in that world and with those characters. And I think too you know, uh, the emancipation of one Harley Quinn and what birds of prey or whatever it was called. I really, really like that movie. Um, if you don't watch it, recommend it. I think it's underappreciated. 
I agree. I agree. Yeah. But I think that movie also could have easily have been called like Harley Quinn kills the Joker, you know, or something like bombastic like that. And so I think kills the suicide kills justice league. You know, I think there's a lot of room for that to play out a lot of different ways, but I, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic. We get to see both of these in August and I'm kind of through the moon that we might get WBs and Rocksteady's game within 12 months from now. I'm not expecting either to be launch games for next gen, but no. I, I'm excited to see them and, and hopefully uh, get I some. mean, I, I don't know anything, but uh, Montreal, it's been so long since they released a game. So I, I can't imagine that they're, that they're too far out. I could, yeah. I could certainly imagine whatever that Gotham game is, the Gotham Knights, or whatever it's going to be called, um, being this year. But all the words we've heard of, of these leaks uh, for the Rocksteady game is that it's squarely a next gen title and will be released into the next gen lifespan. So it'll be probably, I'm guessing, like a 2021 at the earliest kind of game. With my luck, it'll launch the same day as Horizon 2. You know, like you're just like, come on, you've waited so long for this. Yeah, game. yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Speaking of waiting long, uh, lots of games that we have been playing. I know there's there's still tons of news to get to, but let's talk about the games we have been playing in a segment I call the playlist. All right. Time to talk about the games that we have been playing and let's start before we even get to the games we have been playing. I'm fascinated by something that Sean shared with us before we started the the recording. And that is, Sean, uh, a lot of us have been playing Last of Us Part 2 lately, a very big game, lots of discussion. We will have a full spoiler discussion at the end of this very episode, in fact, for that game. Uh, but you have done something that I think I'm I'm guessing not an insignificant number of people have done, which is you watched that game rather than play it. You last of us two just came out and you spent time just watching the story. Like it would, like it was a movie, right? Is that, is that how you did it? Yeah. I don't even know if I would have done it that way. Had I not normalized the behavior for myself by like checking out my own cinematics on, on YouTube and, <laughs> and, and, and like watching reactions. Uh, uh, anybody who says they don't is lying. Uh, you, you always want to know what people think, but, um, but yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, um, I played the first game and uh, the, the ending did not land with me uh, in a good way. Uh, it landed in a bad way. And so I, I was kind of reluctant uh, with Have this. You still game. had your tray table down, kind of thing. And- yeah, oh, <laughs> terrible joke. That is a terrible joke. Uh, <laughs> the, no, I'm curious. Joke. I'm, I want to. I want to dig into that because it landed in a bad way. Meaning you didn't. You didn't buy it from a character perspective, or it just was so dark and so disturbing that it kind of soured you. And this is part uh, one. Felt, we're talking felt, about just so yeah, part one. Part completely, one. completely part one. If if. This is uh, still unspoiled for you. You're too late. Uh, the ending of part one felt like it cheated me. Uh, mm. it, and, and I have, by the way, I'm coming at this from the sense of like, I've been making games for a living for, for a decade now. And I tend to think about uh, how I want to do things <laughs> when, right. when, I'm, when I'm playing a yeah. game. And uh, in so many ways, I, in my mind, the version of Joel that I built up uh, was going to uh, say goodbye 
to Ellie. Mm-hmm. And, and when I started murdering people and mass and, and then took off with her and robbed her of the, the chance to make a difference for humanity, I felt robbed of the chance to, to make any choices in that situation because it felt like the sense of dissonance that I had and not even lewd and narrative dissonance, just dissonance of like personally what I wanted to do uh, versus the character. And I know that part of it is about forcing you into that path uh, in order to make you reflect on it. But uh, personally, that's not the style of like game design and narrative design that I'm a fan of. Um, I don't like being railroaded into a scenario that ultimately leaves me feeling uh, soured or, or cheated uh, mm. by, by the, the choices made in the game. So all, all that said, obviously we're talking about games that are technical masterpieces. We're talking about games that uh, are expertly written, acted, directed, animated. Uh, the teams that pour their years uh, and of, of their lives into creating these are, are working at the, the peak of their craft. But I did feel that there was a big missed opportunity in part one. And the more coverage that I saw about part two, the more skeptical that I became, I was like, I don't know that this is really going to change my mind <laughs> about how <laughs> yeah. I feel here. So I chose, I said, all right, instead of, I ha- I play a lot of games. I play games for myself. I play games with my son. I play games for work. So I have to be kind of selective with my time and committing 20 plus hours to the last of us two. Wasn't something that I was prepared to do. And, and after the month that we've had in June so far, I don't think I was emotionally in a place where I, I wanted to in any way. Uh, yeah. Even the good reviews. I listen to listen to you guys talk about it. I, I, I watch reviews. I read reviews. And even the good reviews were like confirming for me like, hey, buddy, this is going to rub you the wrong way. Like I, just, <laughs> I, I, I would hear things that they would they would almost trigger. Um, and it's I think certainly that's fair. Yeah, sure. That's totally fair. It's not a, it, you know, it's not, to be clear, it's not an SJW thing or, or something where I'm, I'm worried about uh, Neil Druckmann putting too many diverse characters in. I'm, I'm certainly the, the king of SJWs in so many ways, <laughs> according, according to the internet. Uh, what, what to me is, is the issue really is, is the lack of agency that you have in these narratives. And I think that there is um, great value uh, in the cinematic narrative tradition. However, it's really important, I think, to distinguish the difference between interactive narrative and, and cinematic narrative. I think that the areas where The Last of Us most excels are cinematic narrative uh, and the execution of it. I do believe that the gameplay is valid, the level design is incredible, all of that. But it is ultimately a really, really beautiful cinematic narrative that is still in service of the same kill, kill, kill gameplay. And I say that as someone who's written a really violent game <laughs> and, and someone who plays violent games. It's, it's really, if you ask me to take your story seriously, I will. Uh, but if I take your story seriously... And then I still have this sense of cognitive dissonance when the, the way that the characters interact, the choices that they make, uh, do not follow what I think human behavior f- 
follows, right? It's, it's, this is where I say dissonance. It's a sense of sometimes you're in the room and you're like, I don't understand what everyone else is seeing. And I think that the, the conversation, the discussion, all the, the praise that, that, uh, you all have had for the game certainly comes honestly, but I also think that it there's, it, it really depends where you're sitting when you play that game or when you, when you enjoy the story the way I did, uh, via, via clips. Um, even though when I say clips, we're talking like 12 hours of clips. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. It counts as a season of television. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, absolutely. It does. I mean, it's longer than most, most Netflix shows at this point. Um, I'm curious about how, how that, I mean, clearly you saw it through, right? You watched the 12 hours or yes. whatever it was. Um, so you, you stayed to see it through. Do, did you feel any satisfaction in that? Was there, did you appreciate that experience for what it was? Did it make it, did it sort of uh, alleviate some of the, um, the feelings because you weren't making the choices? I think, no. Um, it, <laughs> okay. Well, it, it, it confirmed for me that I was, I was, I was glad I, th- I felt I would have been really frustrated had I played it. And yeah. I think, you know, I, I imagine I probably would have had the similar empty feeling that a lot of people have described in the sense that you have a lot of fun while you're playing this game and then you finish it and you have a lot to think about. And sometimes even while you're playing it, you have to stop it and, and think about what you're playing and why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and, and all of that is, is great up to a point. Um, but I'm going to, I don't know. I don't know how to put it except to say that games have a capacity. Games are like Kal-El in the movie Superman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we can be a great people and we wish to be, but we lack the games to show us the way. (laughs) And there are very few studios in the world that have the cinematic prowess and the technical prowess and the budget and artistic license to create games that are not murder simulators. Yeah. Um, and in so many ways to me, the gameplay of the last of us two is an uglier, more realistic, more brutal murder simulator. And the momentum of violence in that world is so unnaturally heightened that the situations that the characters put themselves in or find themselves in is, is, crosses lines that I can't follow. It's why there's certain movies that for me, like no country for old men doesn't work for me. Doesn't add up to anything uh, for me. I need, I need some sense of catharsis in a, in a, in a, and not just catharsis of an idea has been completed. Uh, I, I think of games as therapy. I think of games as opportunity and stories the same way to engage with the things that we need help deconstructing the information that we need help sorting through in our lives and uh this game to me doesn't have any nutritional value in that in that category uh because of the statement that it's it's trying to make and in the way that it's trying to make it i'm trying to say this without spoiling anything but in so many ways where the last of us part two ends is where i would have liked a game to begin and i would have liked to see what that character who's now made a different choice uh, then maybe we would have expected to make in the moment that she makes it, how she goes forward from there without spoiling mm-hmm. anything. I think I'll leave that there and, yeah. and readers can connect the dots or listeners can connect the dots uh, in your, in your extended segment after this. I, I think you have 
spoken very eloquently actually about, about that position. And it's, it's quite persuasive actually to me that, um, what, with what you said, I, you know, I, I certainly did get something out of the game and, and people will hear us talk about it later. Um, but I did, I remember that moment when I heard Neil Druckmann say, you know, our first game was about love and this one is about hate. And I was like, do we need, do we need that? <laughs> do we need a game about hate? Uh, and, and, um, while I, I was moved by the game and, and felt, um, I appreciated sort of what I was put through and how I came out the other side. I sympathize with what you're saying. I think, I think that's a very astute point and, um, certainly not a game for everybody. I, you know, I, that's what I said from the beginning when I, when I finished the game is this is, does not feel like a mass market product. <laughs> this feels, this, does not, this is not, this is not the feel good hit of the summer. You know what I'm saying? This is not, um, a, a I guess game. That's- that's the thing that I think represents the greatest missed opportunity. And, and look, I hope that Naughty Dog takes this as, as a challenge and picks it up going forward is that if you're going to take swings like this, where you're willing to burn your existing fan base in order to make something that has artistic merit and has questionable uh, market potential insofar as the limits that the content itself will place on, on reach and, and access. Um, if you're willing to take that swing, why not take it on something that's really unproven? Because yeah. although the story takes a swing, the gameplay is about as safe as it comes. And there is a sense of, of efficiency and, and like I said, the momentum of violence uh, that is there is, is typical. It is what we make as games. And, and the reason why so many games are made that way it's because they don't have the budgets that Naughty Dog has. They don't have the studio financial security that Naughty Dog has. They don't have the largesse and the ability to sway the industry. And I fear that this game, instead of inspiring a new generation of cinematic games that are able to imagine interactivity between human beings that takes forms other than punch, stab, and gun, um, that instead that, you know, the knockoffs that we will get for last of us Two, as people hold it up and say, Oh, this masterpiece, I want to make something like it that, you know, there's a lot of things that tried to follow in the Christopher Nolan <laughs> footsteps of, of the mm. dark. They're like, Oh, they just went darker and it didn't work. And I yeah. do see the potential for, Oh, people are going to take the worst possible interpretation of this, like watching Scarface and forgetting how it ends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't lay that at the foot of the artist, but yes, I, 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 I don't, take your yeah, point. And, and I guess I, I don't lay it all at the foot of the artist. I, I you know, it's on all of us. <laughs> and I also think, yeah. you know, I wouldn't lay it on the foot of any one person because one person can't make a game. And Neil would, would certainly say that himself. I'm sure that, you know, it's a, it's a team effort and a studio effort. And um, I don't know if you're going to marshal those resources and you want to do something revolutionary, it teach me to do something I don't know how to do already. Hmm. Man, I think it's profound. And I, I'm so glad we had you on this episode to, to say those words, because I, I think that's a fascinating perspective and um, one I haven't heard articulated quite like that. So uh, thank you. Kudos. Well, um, appreciate cheers. it. I, and I now, say that as someone, sorry, I just, I say that as someone who's done a lot of soul searching myself about what I'm, sure. what I'm creating, what I'm putting out there and what it means. Yeah, no, I, I it clearly that, that came through. And I think it is, um, it's, it's something to, 
I, it's certainly something that I'm going to be chewing on for the next, you know, little while. I think that's a really, really interesting perspective. Uh, it's hard to transition between sort of the deep thoughts of <laughs> that discussion <laughs> and talking about the other games you've been playing. But I, I'm curious that you have a, a number of really interesting games that I haven't tried yet, including Desperados 3, which just came out. And uh, I know it's getting a lot of attention. Uh, what's your experience with that game? It is so root and toot and good. Uh, <laughs> Desperados 3 has... I, I am the kind of person, I guess I would put it, that real-time strategy has always seemed more appealing to me than it was in practice. Like, I would see the Commandos games, and I would say, this looks like a game I'd love. And then I'd play it for a few hours and kind of bounce because it, it was difficult or it was obtuse in some way. Uh, and Desperados 3 is the game that I think perfects what the UI of one of these games and the experience of one of these games needs to be insofar as if you've ever played a tactical game and felt like, well, I just don't know what the right thing to do is, or I don't know where the right place to, I don't know which line of sight I can use. I don't know which angle is the best angle to, to approach from. This game gives you so much information without overloading your senses and tells a great story and has really interesting and, and memorable characters. Uh, it is so lovingly crafted and, and wonderful to play that uh, it, it's it's addicting. It's less of a strategy game or a tactical. It's it's a puzzle game. I, I think of it as you enter these scenarios. I guess I should break it down for people who don't know. Uh, it, it's a it's a game set in the old west. It takes an isometric view. Uh, you can rotate the map all the way around so that you can take a look at, at any angle uh, from above from your bird's eye view. And you control uh, a group of characters, or in some cases, just a single character, uh, as you attempt to move through a map, achieving objectives, uh, clearing out enemies, uh, which you could do at times non-lethally, sometimes lethally, sometimes you don't have to, you can just stealth past them if you so so like. And there are so many different paths and, and options for you to take and approaches and strategies and, and different ways that you can combine the skills and abilities of your various characters that are so creative and, and so holistically designed, I would say, and that everything connects to itself. So you could come up with these really cool scenarios where you, I'm on, I'm playing on PC. I don't know how this controls on a, on a, on a console controller, but on PC, you know, you hit the shift key and time freezes and you get to choose and queue up actions for your entire team. And then you can either execute those actions right there at that moment, or you can tap shift to go back into the scene and wait till the perfect moment to strike. If that moment's taking too long, you can fast forward to that moment. If you try to, to, to execute that move and it goes wrong, that's okay. As long as you press F5 to f quick save, you can press F6 to quick load. Like the game is so intuitive and user-friendly that even when you encounter these really difficult combat scenarios or stealth scenarios you can't help but just keep going back to it uh it, it's really got me enthralled man you're making me want to play this this is desperados three that we're talking about uh I, th I think it's on steam summer sale right now i am i'm tempted to grab it's, it myself although it's so, so worth it it's uh yeah. it's fifty dollars and worth every penny Desperados 3. Uh, you've also been playing a game I know that's got a, a pretty big following. Um, uh, Deep Rock Galactic. This is the sequel to the first Deep Rock game, right? Yes. Have you, have yeah. you played it yet? 
I played only the I played the first deep. What was the first Deep Rock game? Deep Rock something else. Um, but uh, I have not played the new one. No, I, I I haven't. This is I mean it's space dwarf mining co op perfection. Uh, I would say a mostly non toxic community. Uh, <laughs> there was there was one run where I, we were so close. You have to every run. You start by you know dropping down into a cave. And you're going to explore that cave and mine and blast your way through walls and battle enemies and probably uh, resuscitate each other frequently because uh, you're you're often overwhelmed by hordes of enemies. You have four character classes that all have different abilities that complement each other, but you can also stack them up. So if you want to have a bunch of gunners, you can just try that. Um, It's a really flexible game, Um, but you know, it's it relies on you having real human beings that you want to play with and voice chat is not a necessity i've played plenty of games with strangers but there is no substitute for having you know four good friends in a group and and partying up yeah i, I guess this wasn't a sequel to anything um i, I must be confused but um i was wondering yeah, if i missed the first game i was like no, oh no, man no. I didn't know there was more i am i am clearly mistaken um the, <laughs> This looks like a ton of fun. So this is this is sort of you're like hanging out with with buddies and jump in and do, and do quick action. But, it, yes. but there's a layers of like building and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, right? There is. Uh, th- there's. It's more like destruction and mining. Like you can the, mm. the devi- all of the environments you can drill your way through uh, or axe your way through. Uh, there are uh, uh, all kinds of uh, huge verticality. Uh, to to the level, so you have devices that allow you to create zip lines for for some characters. Other characters can create platforms. Uh, one the scout character has a grappling hook, uh, and and everybody has to work in, together uh, to to achieve the objectives. It's got a great just spirit to it. Like there's a pair of there's a big pair of fuzzy dice that are in your like space pod that you drill down into the 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 terrain with, and then you have to come in and out of this thing. So you start in this pod and then you have to get back to it. Like the end, you've mined your way hundreds of meters deep. And then they say, okay, the escape pod's going to leave go. And then you have to run and dash your way in this frantic dash back to, uh, back to the pod. And everything about it just has this charm and this kind of Nordic uh, jovial, like, like having beers in, in Norway. That's what it feels like. Beers in Norway. (laughs) I think the whole team is uh, is Norwegian. There's I'm looking at the the uh, website for Deep Rock Galactic, and it's uh, Henrik and Jonas and Mikkel and Soren. <laughs> like uh, that tracks. That tracks to your experience. With the <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, very cool. Deep Rock Galactic Danger Darkness Dwarves is the subtitle. Uh, what else is on your playlist? Uh, so I've had a I've had kind of an eclectic playlist lately. Um, my son and I like to game together. He's six. Um, he's put, you know, like 80 plus hours into Spider-Man on PS4, uh, which is why he's so primed for Miles Morales. Um, but we have lately got into Rocket League, which mm. I haven't played in years. But have you gone back to that game uh, recently at all? I haven't. Christian, have you played Rocket League recently? I know you were much more into it than I was at, at any point. I have, I was probably been six, seven months since I, I played any real, I had, you know, I'd played on my switch when I was going places, but that's maybe that's only been three months, but it feels like longer. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a joy. It's, it's a game that holds up. I, I, I don't think I've played it since 
to get launched. Uh, so, so to come back to it and to be able to play it with my kid and, and he can, this is the first time I've seen him really navigating well in 3d. Uh, and the first time he scored a goal, it felt like real soccer. Like we, <laughs> we were shouting yeah. and, uh, high-fiving and, uh, that, that's an absolute joy. And I, I'm surprised because we've played a lot of other games, but this is the one where he really seems to be mastering, uh, the, the dual stick movement. So, so proud of my little guy. Uh, <laughs> How old is he? He's six. Oh, six nice! Wow, very cool. Um, he's he took to gaming very naturally. Uh, he he always wanted to grab and hold a controller if I had one in my hand. And yeah. uh, we've played a lot of Lego Marvel games together. That was that was kind of his his real first entry into games. That's um, cool. But Ring Fit Adventure, I guess, is the other one that he and I play together. Uh, it's a great way to motivate him to work out. Obviously, the ring is is a bit too big and unwieldy for him, but he just you know, mimes what, whatever I'm doing, and that gives him a workout. He's sweating and <laughs> and, and huffing at the end of it, and so am I. Awesome. Uh, so, Ring Fit Adventure kicking kicking both our butts. Hey, Christian, have you tried uh, having your daughters play Ring Fit with you at any point? No, they're interested in it, but I you know, work out usually in the evening. So they have not seen it yet or done, done side by sides with me. Mm. Cool. Were you one of the early ring fit adopters, uh, Sean, or have you picked that up recently? I was, I was lucky enough that, uh, it, I got it early. My, my wife bought it for me as a gift because she knew how much I was looking forward to it. So that's awesome. Uh, I've had it for a while. I, I can, I gotta say throughout the pandemic and the lockdown, like it sucks to be locked down and, and all of that. But like, there have been days where I would look around and be like, I got two Oculuses, a Nintendo switch with ring fit adventure. <laughs> I'm so good. Like I'm good. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I can, I can adapt. No, I, I, I said that from the beginning. I was like, I've been training my whole life for this. This is the moment that I have been in training for since I was six. Yeah. Indoors, the kids unite. Exactly. Indoors kids. Finally, finally, every, everybody has to feel uh, what our life has been like. Uh, <laughs> uh, anything else you want to bring up? Um, uh, I, I guess I went back to Witcher three because mm-hmm. of GOG had a, had a, not a sale, but a, a giveaway where if you linked your PlayStation or Microsoft account or steam, uh, they would, they would give you a copy of Witcher three on GOG. So I linked up my Sony account, got my Witcher three modded it up with some, high-res textures and nice. beautification uh, mods. None of the more raunchy uh, and sexualized mods, those were rather disturbing to find. I was like, what the heck? How many 12-year-old boys have, have modeling skills like this? That's crazy. Yeah, no kidding, right? um, but it is, you know, going back to it, and we've talked a lot about Cyberpunk today, but but Witcher 3, so, it still holds up. I've, I've, I've yeah. beaten it. I've, I've come back to it. I just, I, I intended to play hearts of stone. Uh, once I got to Velen, you, you, that's when the, the quest line opens up for you. Cause I haven't played any of the DLC for it. And by the time I got there, I was like, oh, I just want to keep going. Like this game, I don't need the DLC. I could just do this campaign forever. It's awesome. Yeah. And I, I'm hoping we haven't heard. I don't, I don't think we've heard a word yet, whether cyberpunk will support mods but I've the games that support mods feel like they build communities that are longer lasting. You know, the fact that Bethesda games support mods and the CD Projekt Red games support mods, it feels like that just by its very nature 
gives it a long tail, a longer tail than most games get because people are invested in their improving the game and, and, and adding new stuff, you know, GTA five, having mods, for example. Um, I know it's original, not easy for uh, battlefront Two, the original battlefront Two had yeah. an incredibly like, it's still active. There's still a community for that game. Cyber- because of the mods. Cyberpunk literally needs to have mods of all games. <laughs> That's the yeah. game that needs to have it. I've been playing a lot of stuff. I could, I could go on, but, but I don't want to suck up all the air. What, what no, not at all. Not at all. You, it's it's great to hear about all these games that we we haven't talked about in a long time or or at all. Um, I, I the, the, like I said, this show could be this could be a four hour one this week. Uh, Christian, what, what's on your playlist? Oh, I didn't write this down. Just two little things. My seven year old daughter started playing Pokemon Sword on her own for the first time. Um, she's you know very both of them. Both my daughters are very into Pokemon, and they love watching me play Let's Go Eevee and me playing Sword. And she's like, she wanted to try it herself. Um, I, I think she maybe has a little bit of my temperament of like getting bored quickly. I'm like, it's good. it's a lot of reading. Just know this is not the show. This is not what you've watched me play. Like. Your first, you know, half hour of screen time here you play is going to be just picking your character. <laughs> you know, like you're not going to, you're not going to be, but she has been loving it. Like I've tried to film some of her reactions, but like the, the first, you know, battle she won, the first trainer, because I forget like who, like trainer Bill or whatever. And she's like, dad, it's a trainer, another trainer. Oh man, I'm going up against a trainer. And it was just like, just pure joy to watch. And she dismantled this first trainer because that's where you are in the game at that point and she's like i knew i was gonna beat him <laughs> i have water gun um so it, it's it's really fun to watch and see her enjoying that there have been some questions about like the progression and and things where she's like i'm a lo- i thought i'm allowed to have six pokemon in my party i'm like you are why do i only have two well the game it's onboarding you what's onboarding data it's like well come here my dear have a seat <laughs> let's talk but it's been really fun to watch um the thing i've been playing i i think i maybe mentioned this before but as i invested more in like an actual home office i have an uplift is the brand um but a standing desk and now after the move i finally have my um mega sg hooked up again and, and some of my retro stuff and I, I've never done it before, and it's the silliest thing, but I was playing Genesis games with my desk raised to stand, and I was like, this feels like an arcade. Just that shift of perspective. And then I have an old Genesis six-button fight stick. I got that out, and I was playing some Punisher. Surprise! I'm talking about the Punisher on Genesis again. Um It's so silly how those little things I think we often take for granted of like what that arcade experience was it's like i put the fight stick on the desk and i stood it was awesome absolutely awesome like just the littlest simplest stupidest little thing but if you have a standing desk or a place to kind of set something up like that especially if you're you know been at home and you're (laughs) bored or looking for projects it, it was really silly how much life that brought back to games that i've played a million times and i'm kind of hooked on it i i really really enjoyed it Hmm. That's interesting. That's that's very interesting. Uh, very cool. Um, for my playlist, um, been playing a game called Deck of Ashes, which uh, just came out recently on Steam. I think it's been in early access for a while, but I hadn't played it until now. 
Um, and I know, uh, Sean, one of the games we did not get to on your playlist was uh, Slay the Spire. Yes. And if you are as in love with Slay the Spire as I am, then may you I introduce no other you? games because you're still playing Slay the Spire. <laughs> it, just came out, it just came out on mobile, Christian. It just came out on iPhone. Well, that's what I'm and saying. So, you don't need any other games. You're good. Well, allow me to introduce you to Deck of Ashes because very much uh, the same itch scratched here. This is a, a card-based battling game. The difference being that Slay the Spire is basically kind of this, uh, you know, very much a roguelike moving up you to different runs uh, moving up this uh, this pathway, it's a branching pathway. You can make decisions and try to make the smartest decision as to what you need at any given time. And you know, you, you forks in the road that allow you to to go to different places, whether it is to challenge yourself with another battle or to try to level up or find some items or whatever, uh, and try to improve your deck and improve your deck and survive and manage your manage your health uh, all the way up to getting to the boss and moving on to the next section. So it is very much this sort of um, barreling down the road in one direction, even though you're able to pick your pick your path. With Deck of Ashes, uh, it is much more uh, an open world feel to it in that you are still sort of moving from node to node on a map, but you can go backwards, you can go around. It, it is a, a, a field of nodes that change over time. Um, sometimes there, there's a, there's a bad guy that's always searching for you, uh, on every map. And that bad guy can change things, can blow up certain connections, can try to ambush you and force you into fights. Um, can also drop, uh, temporary places onto the map that if you get to in a certain number of moves, you can get a, a, a cool recipe for a new card or something. But the idea is that you can move around to these nodes and kind of, um, You've got this ticking clock to when the bad guy is going to eventually force you into a big boss fight, but you're using as many moves as you can in that sort of push your luck against the ticking clock format to power up, to get resources. There's all kinds of resources on the map that you then go back to camp and there's various people at your camp that can improve things for you, give you traits build more cards, buff cards you already have into do, being able to do new things, all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, there's a, a number, I think there's like five or six different resource types. There's keys that you can get to open chests that will have new things in them. You can research new cards types. You can buff those cards and craft those cards and build your deck. Uh, there's lots of options. And it's really, I think, a very compelling gameplay loop of sort of prepping for the battle and then having the battle. Whereas Slay the Spire feels like, can I survive and get powerful enough to get to the battle? This feels like, okay, I'm strategizing. I'm planning for the battle. The battle is the thing. The big battle with the bad guy is the thing. I got a lot of these smaller battles leading up to it, but it it isn't like this run the gauntlet and see how if you can survive your way to the big battle it's more like how am i going to maximize the time that i have available to me to prep and i think that one little tweak actually makes it feel i don't know i feel like i'm doing something rather than having things done to me does that make sense it does make sense i it sounds like a a combination and and just looking at it very slay the spire <laughs> in the yeah, in the yeah. combat interface 
but there's so much else going on around the screen that isn't happening uh, in the Slay the Spire interface. But it looks yeah. like it has elements, and it sounds like it has elements of Thronebreaker. Uh, yes, Witcher. yes, yes. If you've played that, yeah, there's. it does have that sort of progressing through a story. And also, I should note, there are, the game, as it stands now, has four, I believe, four different classes. Uh, and each of those classes has its own story. So you're actually playing a completely different story. In fact, some of them you'll start in a, on a completely different map if you choose that that class uh i played uh three of the is it four or five i played three of the uh the classes so far i played through chapter one on on three of the classes there's a the first one i played was a rogue that uses lots of poisoning and uh damage over time effects uh there's a there was this like crazy jester character that uh is like this hybrid monster where literally bug arms sprout from its back and do crazy stuff and all of his cards were very, um, very uh, weird. You like a summon a phantom version of yourself and buff that. I mean, very outside the box, really unique, very different playstyle to the rogue. Uh, and then there's a there's a fire mage, and she you know does basically straightforward like blast you know combo fire stuff. Uh, and then there was a um, this like bruiser. Uh, character where you generate rage, like a warrior type character with regenerate rage, but he also has like this furry, fluffy companion that you can buff as well. It, I, the point of me saying all this is that wildly different class types that play very, very different within the same card structure. And I found it, re- I, I really like this game a lot. It's called Deck of Ashes. I've been playing it compulsively. It is. It's got that gameplay loop that I love, building up my deck, refining my deck, you know, turn-based card strategies. It's really cool because you see all the moves that your opponent is about to, to uh, the card your opponent is going to play. You see it all the time. You'll know exactly what the bad guys are going to do on their turn. So you can plan and plot and figure out the most efficient way to combo cards. It's so my jam. It's so my jam. And I, I think you'd like it too, Sean. It's called Deck of Ashes. This is very cool. I'm definitely checking this one out. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. Uh, I think it's pretty inexpensive as well. Twenty bucks. Yeah, v- super worth it. I mean, this game is deep and awesome. There's tons to do, and I think they have uh, post-release plans to add uh, additional character classes and all kinds of stuff. They have. There's also plugins. Talking about mods, this game supports plugins, and they have like skins for characters. So like the the crazy jester character is like a clown skin. <laughs> There's all kinds of fun stuff. Did, um, did I miss an opportunity by not playing Slay the Spire on PC? I'm playing it on the Switch, but I've heard the mod scene for Slay the Spire is pretty pretty excellent. Oh well, that I haven't even really dug into the mod scene there, but I've I've read about it as well. And yeah, I mean, evidently there's all kinds of crazy stuff. And that dude, what an amazing game that is! Just just the story of that game. You know, talk about um, labor of love that turned into this big big thing. And yeah. Uh, that's a game. That's a game I'd buy twice. I've bought it four times. I bought it four <laughs> times. I'm not even joking. I bought it on four different platforms. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty wonderful. Um, all right, uh, I know we're already long, and we have another hour of show that will be tacked onto this. So, do you guys want to do VR talk, or or should we bring you back some other time and talk VR, Sean? What's what's your what's your feelings? Oh, uh, we. We we could get on a ramble. I'll just tell people yeah. to play their Beat Saber and eat their Wheaties, and, and that's <laughs> healthy living. 
There you go. That's that's great. I love it. I love it. I mean, uh, I could talk about. I, I will say this too. I guess I'll give one more VR shout out. Blade and Sorcery update eight. Uh, Jeff, have you played this game? I have not played Blade and Sorcery. I down I downloaded it and I haven't even played it. Okay, uh, you waited. You waited for the right time. Uh, and I, and I know. Are you playing with like a, a beefy RTX friendly video oh, yeah. card? All right, you'll, oh, yes. you'll be fine. This this recent, most recent update uh, introduced uh, some performance issues, but the trade off uh, is worth it because they've given you superpowers. So, Blade and Sorcery, for anyone who doesn't know, is one of the best melee combat VR games out there. It has uh, some really incredible physics systems and simulations of various materials, so that the weapons that you're wielding feel like they have we- real weight. Uh, characters and bodies, including your own body, uh, have real weight. And now you can charge your staff with gravity energy and drive it into the ground and shout, you shall not pass. <laughs> and you will fling enemies <laughs> into into the into the, the air. It is amazing. Um, oh, dude, it's just like gravity gun meets Gandalf. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can, you can also, you can grab enemies, you can like assign... Uh, sort of uh, energy clasps to, to people, telekinetic clasps. So you can grab someone by the throat and like force choke them up into the air and then maybe oh, slam man. them into their friend or grab them by the leg and just rip them in half because you're sadistic like that. Um, <laughs> talk about your violent games. Uh, but, but this is a this is definitely not a story game. This is a game of, of visceral brutality and experience. Uh, and the, the implementation of... Uh, superpowers your ability or the magic powers rather your ability to imbue any one of your weapons with uh fire properties electrical properties uh, some of them using for example if you have like a really heavy mallet right and you have to swing this thing with two hands and you have to effectively mime that you are swinging a large heavy mallet in order to, to do it effectively if you cast the gravity spell on your heavy mallet you can swing that thing around like it's lighter than air but it's still going to hit with the same force Wow. Uh, things like that. It's 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 excellent. So Blade and Sorcery. Blade and Sorcery. I always see it on top of the Steam most played list in VR, and I just haven't had a chance. I just haven't done it, but I'm now I'm doing it. That sounds amazing. It's Blade a good like, off day workout. Like if, if you're like, oh, I'm gonna take a rest <laughs> day, just like go go into an arena, be a gladiator with magic. Amazing. All right. Wow. Sean Kittleson, thank you so much. We definitely have to have you back. We got to talk VR. We got to talk tabletop stuff. Uh, This has just been a jam-packed, incredible episode, and you've brought so much to it. I'm so grateful you've been here. Thanks for for hanging out with us. Thank you. This was, honestly, I I, I enjoyed the show. I could sing along with any of the bumpers at perfect pitch. So uh, this this is a pleasure for me. I really enjoy being here. Well, it was it was our pleasure. And uh, tell folks, by the way, we do have our parting gifts coming up. So stick around for those. Uh, but tell folks where they can find out more about you and the, your goings on online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter somewhat infrequently. I'm at Kittleson, K-I-T-T-E-L-S is in Superman, E-N. <laughs> um, and uh, if, if you uh, are interested in checking out my work, obviously check out MK11. Uh, MK11 Aftermath. If you finished MK11 and want to see even more crazy story from that, uh, and definitely check out uh, my comic book co-created with the amazing and brilliant artist Eric Zabotsky. Uh, it's called Heart Attack. It's a tale of uh, superpowers, romance, and resistance in near future Austin. Uh, it's a book that's near and dear to my heart. 
and something that I've been working on since 2014. Uh, so to have it out now in a year, it's a book that deals very candidly with uh, police brutality, systemic racism, and, and inequality and injustice. And uh, that that it has come out in this year um, and coincided with so many real-world protests has been really, uh, in a lot of ways, complicated for me to process um, insofar as this feels like I wrote a nightmare few years back about what America could become in a near future. And then I saw America become that future in the wow. time that it took for the book uh, to get, to get printed and produced. But wow. um, I am donating all of my royalties for print sales uh, of, of the book to the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, in order to, you know, I don't, I have been very fortunate to have the career that I have in games. I'm not rich. I don't get royalties on Mortal Kombat 11. I wish I did, but, uh, but, but I've been very fortunate uh, to have the career that I have. And and that's why I don't want to profit off of this issue at this time in this moment in history. Uh, I want to be part of the solution. And that means that, you know, uh, not only should I be patronizing, uh, black and minority businesses and boosting and amplifying black voices, but I should really put my money where my mouth is. And that's why, uh, so if you, if you buy heart attack, if you buy it single issues or you buy the trade, which volume one is coming out, uh, it's called against the wall. Uh, it's coming out July 29th. You can pre-order that now. Uh, you can know that in some, some ports, some part, some portion of that is going to the Southern poverty law center through me. It's called the heart attack. It's from Image Comics. Pick it up. Pick it up. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, staying on late to see what happens in issue seven. Um, <laughs> the book's so good. I've talked about it enough. Funny. It's so good. Um, 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 I host the official The Last of Us podcast. New episodes drop on Tuesdays. I believe this week's is our final um, part one. Last of Us Part 1 episode, and then Part 2 episodes start on July 7th. Um, there's stuff between there, too. I don't know if I'm allowed to say what they are. I don't think it's been announced. But it, the show's ongoing, right? The, the official Last of Us podcast. Um, people seem to love it, and I'm I'm so happy that people are responding to it. Um, I'm really proud of the show and everybody at Spoke Media and, and Sony and PlayStation. And it's, you know an amazing team that came together to think, make something really incredible. So you can find that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find me on Twitter at Spicer, S-P-I-C-E-R, and um, lurking in our Discord, in the DLC Discord. Um, it's been fun to see that see that grow and, and see the fun conversations that are going on in there. And um, I'm in there as well. So come come hang out and say hi. Yeah, absolutely. As for me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's, one T. And uh, I have several other shows for you to check out if you're so inclined. I do a, a television and movie review show called the Slash Filmcast. You can find that at slashfilmcast.com. I think this week we're talking about the new Hulu movie, Shirley. Um, check that out at slashfilmcast.com. I also do a comedy science show that'll uh, teach you some interesting information while making you laugh it's called we have concerns 
and find it at wehaveconcerns.com. And then The Dungeon Run, which is my long-form Dungeons & Dragons show, uh, a show I am extremely proud of. Last week's episode was so cool. We had one of the coolest fights we've ever had inside this lighthouse. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but you don't need to watch a single previous episode to jump right into The Dungeon Run. You can start, it was episode 52, I believe. You can jump right in there. Uh, We recap everything you need to know right at the top. You can find it as an audio podcast wherever you get podcasts by searching for The Dungeon Run. You can uh, listen to it or watch it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run on YouTube. Uh, We've been on IGN right now. So if you're uh, on IGN, you can find it there on IGN's uh, YouTube page as well. Uh, Or live when we record Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is parting gift. Sean, do you have a recommendation to help people get through their week? Yeah. Uh, this, this, I don't know if this is cheating uh, because I know it's supposed to be a non-gaming recommendation, but uh, so many people who I talk to you know, do ask about getting into writing for games uh, or express an interest in like what goes into writing games. If you wonder about that kind of stuff, if you've ever wanted to write an interactive game yourself, you can do it. Uh, and, and I would recommend Twine and Ink. Uh, Twine is a graphic user interface. Ink is more of a markdown language where you code. It's, it's a bit... I find Ink is a bit more powerful while Twine is a bit more user-friendly. So I think Twine is a good starting point if you've never designed an interactive narrative before. Uh, but these are skills that are free. If you, have, if you have access to a computer or even an iPad, you can, you can jump on the Twine website and you can start building stories that you can share with friends and family. I wrote, instead of giving my wife a birthday card, I wrote her an interactive short story uh, wow. for, um, this year. And I actually like, I it's Superman it, get, was in it. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was actually, it was, it was, it was kind of sad and emotional, but also like uplifting, but it was, it was actually a version of what her birthday would have been like if we hadn't had to deal with the pandemic so much, oh. Um, oh. but it, but it, That's but beautiful. it was, it worked. And, and I was, I was proud to present it to her because it represented something that no one else could have given her. And I think that's, that's the thing. So many people out there have, you have unique voices, you have unique ideas, but so many people don't realize that they have access to the tools that they, they need. And if you're interested in breaking into the business, if you don't have access to a fancy education, if you don't have access to a, a network of people who are already inside and can kind of give you the leg up, um, one way to, to start giving yourself the leg up is to start producing your own interactive fiction and your own interactive samples. And you don't need money and you don't need school to do that. I taught myself twine with YouTube videos and wikis. So if I can do it, I'm not that bright. If I, if I can do it, <laughs> you, you can too. So that, that's my, my best advice. And then special mention for Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. <laughs> Uh, for for keeping songs in my head all day long, and uh, I watched and that last night. Did you cry? Because I cried. I cried. Really? I, I, in spite of myself, I think I'm a real softy uh, sometimes. Oh, I am so. too. But I, I, I no, I, I, 
I, I thought it was I thought it was funny. There were some few jokes that I thought were just hilarious. Like when he's talking about braiding her hair and she's like, how long did that take you? <laughs> six, six hours. I just thought it was so, uh, yeah, very funny. But, you know, I, yeah. Excellent. Movie. Yeah. Hilarious. Will Ferrell, peak Will Ferrell, where he's literally like playing a 20 year old at 50, whatever he is. Man, it's, <laughs> I remember years back, I was working on, a, on an unproduced spec uh, about a 40 year old boy bander who came back. It was called Jamie Day's Man Band. And it was oh, all about this guy who like tries to reclaim his old glory, but he ends up realizing that he has to sacrifice his dreams so that his son can live a dream. Now it's, it's not his turn anymore. Uh, very, very apropos actually for, for this <laughs> The film. boy has become a man. But, but the idea, I mean, even at the time I was like, well, is Will Ferrell just too old for this? Like, is he really seems like a lead. And then this comes along and I'm like, I should have finished writing that. That's a, yeah. currently it's still viable, but yeah. what a fun movie and charming and wears its heart on its sleeve and, and is like surprisingly earnest for, for a Will Ferrell comedy. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, good for the time. Something we all need. Yeah, feel good, uh, kind of goofy romp is, is fine with, with great music. Great. I mean, the, 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 like the medley in the it's middle of that long. movie is unreal. Uh, oh unreal. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So that's Eurovision. And then this amazing advice about twine and ink, uh, which, uh, just so great. I've never even heard of these things and they're uh, available. So great. Oh, great. They're what, I mean, they're what you use. This isn't like just awesome. beginner tools too. Like I've, I've worked uh, in ink professionally on games and I know lots of uh, developers who have integrated ink or twine into their pipelines. So if you can teach yourself these tools, you're already giving yourself a job skill. That's amazing. Good stuff. Christian Spicer, follow that. I can, and I will. Um, one sillier, one more serious sillier. Um, Man, pad CU and just Thai food in general, you know, like find your local spot that's, that's being safe. Got to get some takeout. Uh, I had to run an errand today that put me near a, a favorite of ours, Jeff. And I, mm. I, I swung by for some. Yeah. They're still Thai doing okay. They're, they're weathering the uh, pandemic. All right. They, I, when I walked in, I was the only person there. And then like, as I was getting my takeout, like a line of like 10 people was behind me. I was oh, like, good. Oh, good, 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 good for them. Um, but you know, support your local business and, uh, also Thai food is, is delicious. Um, pets you with fried tofu. That's, uh, my That's jam. Go-to. It's not healthy. Don't pretend like it's healthy, but that is, that is my jam. The more serious one. And I, we didn't talk about it as like story of the week ever or anything like that. But, um, I have seen, what uh and and heard and read the voices of people calling out the um expletive that hasn't been called out for too long in both gaming and in comics and in stand up comedy as well and um i I like to think that I'm an ally and I've been supportive and I help make workplaces a place. That is uh, a, a wonderful place for anyone to work at and for women to work at and, and a good colleague and, and peer. Um, we all need to be better, you know, whether or not you think that you're perfect or not, uh, or if you're not perfect and you've made mistakes in the past, uh, as I imagine most of us have, take the time, do some reflection. And I know we say it at the end of every episode, you know, think about putting the world, but like for real. 
you know, and, and, and reading all of these accounts by all these women and, um, just the, the, the bravery for them to, to speak up and, and to read about these, these horrible workplaces and, and things that they've had to endure in, in the mediums that I love and, and work in is, is tragic and heartbreaking. So yeah, Jeff, I will follow up twine. <laughs> and it's, uh, I, I gotta say, I mean, that's, it's, it's kind of been a gut wrenching, it's been a gut wrenching year, uh, but they, they're keeping new twists to the wrench. Um, and I can say, you know, share, share a story, a personal one. I, I worked at DC uh, the same time as Eddie Berganza. Uh, I knew him. I was friends with him. Uh, I had no idea what was going on, but I heard rumors and the rumors you would hear, you would kind of explain away in so many ways because you were like, that just sounds too crazy. Like someone wouldn't do that. Um, and then, you know, to find out years later that not only were these rumors true, but that far worse things had happened. And to people who I knew and cared about and considered friends and who uh, hadn't come to me because they didn't know that they could trust me. Um, yeah. And that, you know, that when I, when I saw the name, I remember reading the report and I know Janelle Esselin and I, I, when, when the news came out from DC as, as it has in so many places, um, I do remember thinking really, really vividly, like I was there. I was, I was, yeah. in some yeah. cases I was yards away and I had no idea. And it, that, that moment for me was, was an eye opener because yeah. I always knew that women faced uh, more hurdles and difficulties in the workplace than I did. And I've always made a point to make the women on my teams feel uh, as, as equals uh, as they should. Um, and certainly it helps that I've, I haven't been single since I was 21. Uh, be, being a boring uh, domesticated man has, has certainly, has certainly helped, helped me out. And so far as uh, I don't know how, there are so many men who have so much time to harass so many women because I'm just trying to do my job and keep my day going. And it's yeah. sickening to think that there are people out there that dedicate enough of their time and energy to terrorizing, harassing and abusing people. And the only way that it will stop uh, is if any time that you hear that rumor that you take it seriously, uh, that you don't dismiss things as just someone being uh, funny when they're drunk that you don't dismiss these behaviors as just hanging out, being crazy, um, that you let the people that are around you in your network and in your circle know that you are an ally and make sure that they know unequivocally that you are an ally and that that is not acceptable to you because uh, otherwise you may be just yards away from something that someone doesn't realize they can trust you to help, help change and help mm -hmm. stop. I mean, it's, and you know, Across industries, for me, I think, unfortunately, and, and certainly in stand-up, it's it, that's where I know I need to do better. And I, like I said, I've con I, I try and you know hashtag girl dad and whatever else you know label some and some of our reviews on iTunes have labeled me. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, being there and and not checking in or, or doing enough. Um, and like you said, maybe hearing rumors or whispers and kind of ignoring it. And that is a privilege I, I no longer 
want and I need to do better. Um, and now I will shift back to Thai food, Jeff, and say that my wife <laughs> really likes pad thai and I also like yellow curry. Jeff, what about you? Mm. <laughs> no, you're well said, both of you. Well said. Well said. Uh, I, I obviously agree with all that. And, uh, can't and so I don't want to sound it. like it's, we didn't talk about it. I mean, it feels weird as a story of the week, but it's super yeah. important. And I, I don't want to pretend like we're not aware of it. And I'm very proud of this show. And I think, and, and, and what it is. So, um, yeah. Well, and I, I don't think it will just be the story of this week. I think, you know, this right. is an ongoing thing. And there's the, dos- the doctor misrespect news. Uh, and, yeah. and who knows how, what spin that is going to take. That's the, right now it feels like much gossip, but yeah. you know, these, this is, this is a movement. Uh, in these industries and it's it is about time and it, it seems like in a lot of ways what me too seeded uh has now fomented into speak out and campaigns like that and and it is about time i th- we should all know that these things happen so that we can prevent them yeah and and as you said it it is an ongoing it should be the new status quo not just the story of, of this or any week it should be just how we conduct ourselves from now on uh, and, and should have been for, for, <laughs> forever. Uh, I thought it was. I didn't know the social yeah. contract was so easily broken. I, I lived either, in a man. world where that was not acceptable. But yeah. hey. Yeah. Um, we got a listener suggested parting gift. This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com, which is where you can send any of your own uh, parting gifts if you want to give us a suggestion or if you have any comments or questions you'd like to, to suggest or ask. DLC feedback at gmail.com is where you send those. Uh, this one comes to us from David. David says, uh, Hey guys, uh, thanks for all you do and for helping a dad with small kids keep up with the hobby I love. I wanted to write in with a parting gift for junior geeks and sneaks. It's called Cosmic Kids Yoga, it's on YouTube. The instructor tells a story and incorporates yoga movements in the story, uh, in the storytelling. Those stories all have a theme, some of which are general, like science themes, and some are movie and video game themes. My four- and six-year-olds love the Trolls and Frozen videos. It's been a great activity for them since we can't go out of the house, and there are tons of videos to choose from. Anyway, keep up the good work and stay safe out there. Thank you, David. I have to admit, uh, my daughter has been loving Cosmic Kids Yoga. She is two- she can't even say the word yoga yet, but she says, goga, goga. And uh, that means she wants to watch Cosmic Kids Yoga. This is clearly a YouTube channel that doesn't need our help. Uh, I think the Frozen Yoga video has 14 million views. But uh, it is worth uh, noting if you have uh, a kid and you want to get them up and moving, This is, I agree with David. This is great. There's a, a Pokemon one that my daughter watched tonight, in fact. Um, that there's all kinds of general, as, as he, as David said, there's all kinds of general ones. And this this, uh, lovely, uh, lovely woman with a very charming accent, uh, using her imagination and using yoga, very simple yoga poses for kids. Um, uh, my daughter loves it. She raises her leg in the air when they do standing on one leg, she bends over and lays on the ground and does, uh, uh, child's pose and all the fun stuff. So it's great. I can, I can confirm cosmic kids yoga. Is, uh, is good for kids. Let's give them that DLC bump. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, let's show that's them, what they need. Let's show them what it looks like. <laughs> 14, I, I, 14 million. Yeah, it's great. It's 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 really great. Uh, she's she's charming, and it's uh, it's a lovely little thing for kids. Um, like I said, my two-year-old loves it, loves it. She watches it almost every day. We do a little yoga with her. 
Um, I will add my own parting gift, which is another thing I watched last night. Wife and I uh, hunkered down and ate some junk food and watched uh, Netflix for a while last night, including Eurovision, but also a, a documentary called Magnetic uh, on Netflix, which is like, it, it almost could be a series of short uh, TV episodes that are bundled together because it's a bunch of short stories about uh, extreme athletes who are doing crazy things like um, uh, surfing the largest waves in the world and snow skiing down the sheer face of an impossible uh, mountain and um, kite surfing and mountain biking down insane peaks. And it's good watching. Good, good watching. And I think that the thing that makes it so great is it's in 4K and it's shot like so much of it is shot with drones. And you just realize, oh, man, drones and extreme sports are just a match made in heaven. It really is <laughs> how we should have been shooting this the whole time. The angles that you get, the perspective you get on what these athletes are able to do and the, like, death-defying stuff that they're doing. It's it's uh, very compelling and very fun. And, uh, you know, it's 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 like a, kind of a veg out, eat some food, and marvel at the great photography. It's called Magnetic, and it's on Netflix. All right, that is going to do it for this portion of this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Sean Kittleson and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Sean Madigan, Zero Star, and Patrick L. for making those bumpers that we appreciate so much. Uh, Thanks to all the folks in our chat room for hanging out with us in real time. Thanks to all of you for listening. We appreciate you. You're about to hear our... Spoiler cast. Literally, there's another hour plus of show for you. Uh, so we 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 are officially in the longest episode of DLC ever. Congratulations, fellas. We did it. All right. Uh, this is going to be a three hour and fifteen minute episode. Um, and uh, I hope you I hope you all enjoy it. I think it's a good conversation. I've certainly enjoyed this much. Uh, until we talk next week, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. All right, so it should be clear to everyone that we will be going full spoilers from here on out. If there is any part of The Last of Us Part 2 that you do not want to be spoiled about or that you have not yet experienced, highly recommend you push stop now and come back after you have completed the game because we will be liberal with our spoilers. You have been warned. So... David Chen, Christian Spicer, Dan Trachtenberg. So excited to talk about this game with all of you. Uh, I don't know where to start. Let's start with you, David, because I know, I think of the four of us, you have the most critical opinions of the game. So why don't you lay out sort of your overall opinion and then we can dig into specifics from there. Yeah, yeah I, I, pers- mean- I purposefully did not watch your video because I figured... Oh. I'd be experiencing it here tonight. Yeah, well, first of all... (laughs) Do your whole video again, please. But also because I also never watch your videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Uh, First of all, definitely check out the video that Dan refers to, which is on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky, where I reviewed Last of Us Part 2 in full detail. But let's... uh, I I think I can divide my challenges with the game into a couple of broad categories. And maybe we could talk about 
each of these categories in turn. Uh, but let's just start with like, how about the, the story of the game? Right. Cause I assume like you guys that st- like story was the primary motivation uh, to play the game. You know, I thought last of us part one was a masterpiece. Uh, I, I know there's not people who don't think as highly of it as I do, but I, I thought it was brilliant. Uh, and I, it completely blew me away when that game uh, was... I, I, the first time I played it was actually the PS4 remaster, and I thought it stood up really, really well. Uh, the questions that that game asked about, you know, what would you do in that situation? And it's like, it's like pretty complicated. It's like, I, I don't know uh, if I was in Joel's situation... What would I do? Um, would I have done the same thing? I don't. I don't think he did the right thing. For the record, I have we're not going to spoil. Thing? We're not going to spoil the first game at all. Uh, Dave's going <laughs> to talk around it, but we will spoil the second game instantly and say that Joel dies. But we will not. <laughs> would you have? Would you have uh, done what Joel did at the end of that one, which is not only uh, get Ellie out of that situation um, and murder a bunch of people along the way? Uh, but uh, not tell her, like lie to her, right? And like, I've been waiting now uh, years for the answer to uh, what happens in their relationship. And I do, I do think on that level, the second game did deliver, right? I, I do appreciate that. We do find out what happens in The Last of Us Part Two. What hap- what, what the fallout is of that decision, I mean, right? It really is a game about the fact that they aren't given the, the opportunity to reconcile that rift that we, we find out that Ellie discovers the lie. It shakes her and angers her. And then through the course of this game, by the end, we realize they were just about to get to some sort of reconciliation or coming to terms with their interpersonal relationship as a result of that fallout but that was stolen away from them by this new character, Abby. Right, right. Um, and I have I have some further thoughts on the ending uh, that we can get to later. But I think, like fundamentally, uh, I, I thought the the scenes in which she's dealing with the fallout from the first game are awesome. Right, like the flashbacks, and you see uh, her finally discover the truth when she goes back to the hospital, and it's like you said she's shaken by it and she's the, the character is literally shaken, right? She's like breaking down in violent sobs uh, in that scene. And it's extremely powerful and moving. Uh, and so I really liked how that played out. Cause it, it felt like it honored the character, but the problem for me with the last of us part two is that, uh, and there's many problems with it, but one of them is that, uh, it's a it's a revenge story, right? It's it's primarily a story about revenge. The first game was about how are we going to save humanity, and you may the people in this uh, chat may have a different convers- like a different opinion of whether it was actually possible to save humanity, like you know what decision was Joel actually making in, in Last of Us Part One, but it was like wow, this is a big weighty thing. They he has to get across the country with Ellie because he needs to save humanity. Like it's. It is an imperative. Uh, you you would not forgive him if he didn't do it, right? Uh, because he he has to get this girl to safety. Um, and in this one, it's she needs to kill this person, right? Because she's driven by this blinding rage as a result of uh, what Abby has taken away from her. And I just think that's a way less interesting premise. Um, it's doesn't feel as weighty to me. The questions it asks aren't as interesting to me because we've already seen tons of stories like that of, Hey, did you know that maybe if you, 
if you end up taking an eye for an eye, it makes the whole world go blind. Like, uh, like it might make you a worse person if you perpetrate further violence to try to correct the previous violence. You know, like, I mean, I think you can be, I think you can be reductive about it in any number of ways, but I, I don't, I don't think, I don't even agree with your framework that it's just a revenge story because in reality, it's two revenge stories in that are, are happening in parallel in the timeline that you play back to back. And because it's two revenge stories, I found it to be a powerful, yes, a rebuke of revenge and hatred, you know, as you've kind of said in a kind of reductive, like, pat way. Perhaps you could take it that way. But I think the the sum of its parts, because it's those two stories, and you see they are mirrored in so many ways, it really reveals the the desperation, the cycle of hate, the the motivations to be suspect from the start. So it is, it is, I found it to be a powerful statement, not in the way you're talking about, not in the, oh yes, revenge, bad revenge, make you bad violence, bad. I feel like that's so reductive. It, it, I was in the shoes of someone who watched a heinous act to someone they love felt motivated by it. And then asked to, consider that in a completely new way through the eyes of a completely new character and and see how that is mirrored and see how everyone is the hero of their own story and how perspective is everything. And I found it to be um, much more than kind of how you're framing it. All right. That's, that is fair enough. Um, I have a lot more to say, but I, I want to make sure to, to make time for, uh, I want to hear what Dan Trachtenberg has to say. Like what, what was your experience of the story? Oh, I very much agreed with Jeff. Uh, especially like the notion that you're in those people's shoes feeling a way about the mission that you're on. And then you are firmly out of their shoes and in someone else's and feeling a different way. And that was, it wasn't that binary. It actually kept flip-flopping throughout the entire experience. So I felt certain about how I felt about uh, Ellie and what she was doing um, and then I felt very uncertain. Uh, and I remember uh, feeling like I do not want to do what she's about to do. I don't want her to commit this act. And as soon as she did, I was like, I don't want to play her. I'm done. I don't want to play. I disagree. This is so bad. And then the second I felt that way, I was no longer playing her. And I was playing a brand new character who I had assumptions about. Um, and then in playing through her story, I felt very different. Now, certainly there are other works of fiction that it that have dual have it examine the antagonist and examine the protagonist and you feel different ways but it's it, that i those i think are the more um curt and pat entries compared to the way what this examines it's not just i and i definitely felt the way you did at, at times dave when it first started out i said oh is this the point is this what this is this is all this is going to be i know this hour 1 into the game I'm, I get the point already. Do I really need to keep going? But as I kept going, it kept on saying more and more nuanced things about that experience and giving me perspective on things like nothing else, you know, is able to give, um, not just because of the medium, but also just because of the, the really well-written storytelling. So, um, I, yeah, I, I, I definitely, I, 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 in the one hand, understand your perspective, um, but I think it the way you summed it up, it's like you could like any biopic, you could sum up like, oh, this kind of thing is any genre could be summed up that way. 
but it, it's it's about how, the details of it and how they're expressed. And I think that this game says so many things along the way. I, I kept thinking too more because I certainly the revenge story, yes, and about hate, and but it, I kept examining like justification, like it's, a, it's about what is morally just. Like it's I kept I kept trying to track the morality of what I was doing. Like, is this okay? Am I doing, am I still in the right here? Um, and then when I switched characters, I felt, well, is this, okay? is this the right thing to be doing here? Um, and I certainly came out at the end feeling like I, I, I could not believe the moment that Ellie was the boss, that the fact that the boss of the scene, the boss of the sequence, the big boss is Ellie. Um, and I loved that because I, at that point, I, so I was so much more connected to Abby and really do feel like she is, I feel, and I could be wrong and my memory isn't perfect. And I, and you, I'd be happy to hear a different interpretation, but I really felt like Ellie did one heinous, but I think completely justified thing in killing Joel, um, who was in, who is, what's that? Abby did that. You said Ellie. Abby. My bad, Abby. Um, I'm sure that won't be the first time I do that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and Joel is, if, if this, if we did not have the first game's perspective on his character, uh, if we were only ever in some, anyone else's shoes, you would think he absolutely, he would, he would get the death penalty. He would be, he would be gone. He does not deserve to live after doing what he, he did. Um, Though the first game gave you empathy for that action, but Allie killed him, spared other people, and then the rest of the game, if, if memory serves, she keeps on sparing. We keep on worrying that she's going to exact revenge, but she keeps on sparing. Um, and Ellie, if memory serves, keeps on not sparing. I keep, I keep on hoping that she would have made the choices that Abby makes, and unfortunately, she does. She kept on, um, uh, allowing herself to giving into the dark side, giving into the hate, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think that one of the reasons why, and I, I sense a lot of pushback from like reducing uh, the game down to very simplistic message. Right. And I understand that. I guess for me, the game never went beyond the simplistic. The reason I think a lot of critics are saying it, the theme is like violence is bad or whatever is because, I don't, I don't, in my opinion, I didn't see that nuance there, right? I didn't see the nuance that you describe of um, this is revealing more details. It's peeling back the layers of what it means. To, and I, it's just like, well, yes, I, I, I get that playing from a different perspective. The perspective of the character that killed Joel is a, a radical decision. Like it is, uh, they're taking a big swing there. And I appreciate that just like for the ambition of it. Um and I think like a significant part of it worked, but uh, you understand, hey, yes, I do get that. Like you are when you see things from the perspective of your enemy, like they uh, they actually have really legitimate reasons for doing what they're doing. But at the end of the day, I don't know that it went fully beyond that. I, I, I actually think that Abby, like you said, probably has like a more interesting arc in this game than than Ellie does. It really boils down to this thing about ludo narrative dissonance though i don't know if you guys saw this piece by chris plant that he pus- uh, published at uh polygon today but it really summed up my feelings on this game which is that uh ludo narrative dissonance for those who don't know is the, the 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 idea that sometimes the way you play uh what your character does may be different than the tone or message of the game that you're playing 
Best example of that being Naughty Dog's game itself, like uh, Uncharted, where I think the body count in Uncharted 1 is a 1,000. Like, Nathan Drake murders a 1,000 dudes in that game. Uh, but it's like a very cheery, he, you know, he's a happy-go-lucky, funny guy who's, like, punning on everything. Very very Kanata-esque figure, if I may. Uh, <laughs> only with, like, just, like, 10% maybe more more killings than Jeff Kanata in real life. Um, I think that and, puts me at 100 deaths, <laughs> Dave. I think you've just yeah. pinned 100 uh, deaths on me. Yeah, at least. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and then, but what this game does is, rather than evolve the gameplay, right, which is very, very similar to what it was like uh, when Last of Us 1 came out in 2013. Rather than evolve the gameplay, the story has changed to fit how violent the game is, right? You're still killing the same number of people. It's still like super dark like the first game is. But now the game is like, well, this is what a person would actually be like if they killed a thousand people, right? They would be almost completely irredeemable. Are you comparing this to the first Last of Us or to Uncharted? I got mixed uh, up. Bo- both a little bit. I'm saying like this, the, rather than change the gameplay so that it is less focused on killing, right? This game is like, let's keep the killing the same and bring the story to the place where it's as dark as what a thousand killings would entail. Because this game is super, super dark, right? Yeah. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's just for me less interesting than you know the story of the first game and also the game i just think is super relentless like it it uses 25 hours to make its point when literally 12 hours would have sufficed um so anyway that's kind of my thoughts on that i do agree with that very last thing you said and i i've thought about this quite a bit um while playing is that i think you know, my criticisms of the game, the things that I didn't love are all sort of can all be tracked back to the amount of game that it is. You know, if if yeah. the excess, like you get the point. I mean, every, you, you certainly, the, if it was just the cutscenes and then some of the stuff in between, not the hours of stuff in between those story points. And there's lots of great, I don't want to minimize, there's lots of great story in the gameplay itself as well. But if that was one six-hour experience, the, the story would, or however long it would need to be, I don't know, you know. But like the story would not suffer at all, and I think a lot of the feelings of but this is too much. I, I don't want to see this much. De- I'm doing, you know, all of those things start to go away. It can still be making its point about all of that right. without without quite the amount, which is just it's the reckoning of the format with the reckoning of needing an amount of gameplay to warrant um, AAA release or whatever, you know, I imagine, I assume. Yeah. I, I have a couple thoughts on that actually, but I want to, we, we have not given any time for Christian to speak yet, but I, I will, I, I want to respond to that at some point. Christian, do you have anything to I mean, say about I, this? So for people, depending on where you're listening to this, who who don't know, um, you know, call me bias. I, I, I'm hosting the official Last of Us podcast. We're talking about part two starting in July. Um, if you listen to DLC, hopefully you know I'm a huge fan of the series and the fact that I'm working on a thing with Sony and Naughty Dog, it, it, I honestly feel like does not change my opinions here. But caveat, I, I want to say, great podcast. I listen to it every week. I'm super psyched for you to get to to the second game. So likewise, thank you. Um, yeah, there's some fun stuff. Um, so all those caveats out of the way, 
I love the game. Sorry, Half-Life Alex. Um, it's <laughs> my my favorite of the year surprise. And and I think it's about so much more than just that revenge. I, I think if anything, the marketing maybe planted that seed in people's heads. and Because that's what they kind of were allowed to talk about maybe. And it's like, oh, violence, violence, violence. That's what this is. And and to me, it's it's so much more than that, right? It, it's humanity and what makes us human and what keeps us connected and and all of the complex emotions that go into being a human. And I think, you know, Dave, to your point about like, well, they made a story to match the world. I, I don't I don't think so. To to me, I feel like this is a very bold and fascinating story that wasn't the safe sequel, but took these characters to uh, a, a place that I think really does justice to the first game of putting them in uncomfortable situations where there is no right or wrong. Um, you know, there's a bunch of gray. Uh, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Like it, it, it's a complex world where these characters are on the razor's edge of emotions all the time and being pushed into these scenarios that are just horrific for anyone to, to think about. And I think to your and, and Dan's point, I think the length, is very effective. And I think that, you know, us and several other people that play a lot of games and consume a lot of media, it's like, Oh, I got the point. I can get the point in six hours. And it's like, there's, in my opinion, there's a difference between getting the point and feeling it. And and I use the analogy of the metal gear solid four, um, and the radiate, the radiation scene yeah. a lot in that of like, this is what games can do. And it, you feel it. And Edith Finch has a, moments like that too, where you're engaging in the story in a way that has you feel it. And I think you living these characters worlds for as long as you do makes an emotional connection with you, the player that it won it the same way um, as a shorter experience. Not, I'm not saying there's no fat that couldn't be trimmed. Of course it probably is. Um, but I, I really found my time with Abby and Ellie to to all of it to be worthwhile. And there were times when I started, I was like, oh, Abby, is this, uh, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. And then it's like, you come around and I start to really empathize with her. And um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a, a very bold choice for a sequel. And I was just constantly blown away by what it did narratively. And then that's, we're not even talking about like the technical Marvel that I think the game is like, yeah. I, this is a, a story discussion for sports. I think we're, I think we're all on the same page about yes. the technical Marvel. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I, love, I mean, I think a small analogy and then I'll be quiet for a little bit, but it's just like, and this is one of the characters whose names I forget. And that bothers me right now in this moment, but like just the symmetry of the dog. Right. And it's like, Ellie kills it. And she's like, damn dogs. And then, it's like Abby, it's like Ace. And just seeing that, just just that is like such a microcosm of an example of what humanity is and what it means to empathize with someone else and what their situation is and what it can be and what you think of as this is something totally different to someone else and what kind of world that builds and establishes and what are the consequences of that and how can we have influence over what type of world we want to live in. Um, I think if anything, the game's about empathy and humanity than it is more about violence and revenge. It's interesting, Dave, that you framed this part of the discussion in terms of ludonarrative dissonance, because I felt that the game really takes that on in a way that I don't know any other game that does. I mean, a lot of people have talked about Spec Ops the line, kind of, but I feel like this game is 
accepting the reality of ludonarrative dissonance in game design and asking you to consider it, asking you to live inside it. I, yes, I killed a whole lot of clickers and infested in this game. I attempted to kill as few human beings as I could. I have never had a video game make me feel the desire to not kill as much as this game did. I, I, and yes, it's a video game where you have choice, uh, in, in those sequences to tackle the challenge as you would, as you may. And yes, you are faced with a, uh, you know, a, a series of enemies that you have to get past and you have the opportunity to kill them. You can kill them. And it, the game, uh, you know, Christian has said many times he had fun playing it. I did not, I did not have fun killing human beings in this game because I bought into the mental state of the characters that I was portraying. I, I did not enjoy it too. Ellie turned around. She's I, Ellie went back. No one was standing. Like I, it wasn't me being like, we, it was no, forget them. Yeah. They're and I felt down. like it was not, it was not fun for me to slit the throat of a human being watching. You could, you know, take the camera around anytime you did a stealth kill and see the face of Ellie or Abby doing that and how, anguished they were i mean i i feel like this game makes great pains to show how despicable an act each of those is mm-hmm. and i also think that what no one really ever brings up when they talk about this game there's a lot of talk about ellie and abby and joel and and the, the revenge idea and the hate built in but i no one brings up the tapestry upon which that story plays out. The background that is so filled out in this game, you are literally in the middle of a human-on-human war by the end of this game. You are galloping through hell in a war between people that are all trying to survive the apocalypse, and you'd think pooling their resources would be pretty smart and helpful. And yet here they are slaughtering each other by the dozens in this horrible scene. And throughout the entire game, throughout the entire experience, it is all about factions and who are we killing and who's killing who. And uh, so much of Abby's playthrough is her turning on the very people that she has this brotherhood, sisterhood with. And throughout all of it, I felt like I can't hurt these people. Yes, there is this sect that is dangerous and scary and those whistles i will never not be freaked out when i hear those whistles it's such an effective thing and yet you then meet people from that sect and you go oh they're decent people in the sect too you know it's like it's this this cult that is scary and the people that are breaking out of the sect are decent people but yes yeah well they were once in it right and their mother is was in it and is in it and dies because of it and it, all of it is complex all of it is subtle all of it is shades of gray and i think that that tapestry that this game builds is compelling to me in in the sense that i am not i don't feel like any of it is pat i don't feel like any of it is easy all of it makes me go oh my god i want to do as little awful as I can in this game. And it forces, yes, it forces you to do some awful. And that's something that we can talk about, but yeah, I don't know. So a, a few yeah, thoughts can, on what can you said. I, like, can I just add one yep, tidbit anecdote to, to your point you're making about the confronting of violence. I agree with everything you just said, Jeff, but there's a moment in the very beginning in the t- sort of tutorial section 
when it's teaching you to like the art of pushing into through small crevices and a frozen body like pops out and you have to then like push through that body to progress. That felt like that's the metaphor. That's the game. That's the whole thing, which was such an authored moment. That is something that did not have to happen. It could teach you to progress through crevices without that. I think it's, it's telling you right up front, you're going to have to confront human faces. Not, it's not just monsters and it's not just, guys in, in uncharted guys in helmets with bodysuits on that you don't you know like this is like you're pushing through a human that looks very well rendered and push past it if you can if you know it just i i thought that um was a very early sign of what the game was trying to do that was very different than it's just a game have fun and yeah. um and 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 i felt very much a commentary on other video games, especially ones that they've made themselves. So uh, a few thoughts. Number one, the point about ludonarrative dissonance, I just want to be clear, is I, in case it's not clear, what this game does is it eliminates a lot of ludonarrative dissonance, right? Because it has shaped the story around the main actions of the protagonists, which is mostly centered around killing, right? Or, or, you know, trying to avoid killing, but mostly killing. And, um, it is the you know g- game developers want to tell epic stories, um, but they also want the gameplay to match what the story is, and that's what this game does, in my opinion. Right? It is the logical endpoint of trying to eliminate the gulf between the gameplay and the story, um, which is you tell the story about how extremely effed up it would be if uh, somebody did have to kill a thousand people. What would that actually do to someone's psyche? And you you do kind of explore that in this game. Um, I, I want to say a couple things about something that Dan said earlier, right? Like one is that, uh, in my opinion, I mean, first of all, I'm really enjoying talking about this game with you guys. And I think that what's clear to me is that the things that I thought were weaknesses are what you guys think are strengths. Right. And that's just uh, I think it's just it's it's fascinating how it's like in the eye of the beholder and who's viewing the game, you know, that the same exact thing the game does can be viewed by me as a weakness and you guys as a strength. But uh, I, I think that like in storytelling in general, you don't want the audience to be ahead of the storyteller. Right. Like. I, I think you want the audience, the, the storyteller is like pressing forward and you're like the audience, you're like trying to catch up. You're like, oh my gosh, what is what is going to happen next? Whereas I think the length of the game to the point of length earlier, I think really does hurt this game because I I feel like I'd already gotten the points that the game was trying to make, um, you know, several hours into LA storyline. I At no point was I, or not at no point, but like, for for more of the game than not, I was like, Ellie, this is extremely self-destructive and bad. You shouldn't be doing this. But the game is forcing me to do it. And and so I feel like I'm ahead of the uh, game for much of the game's playtime. And I think a lot of critics felt that way as well. And that's a, a big source of frustration. Um, uh, and, do you, and so do just, you not feel that way about Kill Bill? I was going to say Apocalypse Now. Yeah, I mean, any most things, you know? When well, you're like, you, hey... Or it's, Hamlet. Okay, I mean Hamlet. That's a good. Okay, you got me with the Hamlet, Jeff. That's uh, that's <laughs> fair enough. I can't. I cannot dispute with the Hamlet. Um, uh, I like that. Yeah. Like that's a universal truth. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, oh, I mean, Hamlet, Hamlet is basically like I cannot hey, come back from that one. I cannot come back. From because that. It, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. what I brought up on uh, 
Alana Pierce's show too. And everybody was like, you can't compare a piece of literature to a video game. And I was like, that's not literature. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> okay, no, but, but that's, that's fair. That's fair. Is that there, there are many cases in which it's possible to be ahead of the, uh, in which the audience is ahead of the, the story and that's okay. Right. And, and like the craft of what is happening is so good that it doesn't matter. And, and maybe that's, this is one of those cases for a lot of people. Right. But you, there were um, several things. I don't have to be in your house while you played to, to know I, there must've been several moments of this game that were stunning and surprising and you had, could never have seen coming. Uh, yeah, that's true. I, I actually wanted to get to those, but let me just say one other thing, which is, I, I want to ask you this question, Dan Trachtenberg. Okay, and I think it's like like uh, I remember oh, reading short. Sorry, it was good talking to you. I'll see you later. I remember <laughs> reading like Alan Moore talk about Watchmen, right? And uh, they were making Watchmen into a movie, and Alan Moore, the creator of Watchmen and many other beloved comics, uh, really did not like that. And so um, he, I think, to this day, he refuses to watch it. Um. He refuses he, to do a lot of things, though, to be fair. Right. Yeah. And he, but he said something like, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I think it's pretty close, is that like, I did not write Watchmen to be made into a movie. In many ways, I wrote Watchmen as a comic to show what comics could do that movies could not do. Right. And that always it's stuck with me ever since. But I want to ask you this question, Dan. Uh, picture this. You're making a movie. Let's say it's called 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, there's a character in it played by a very talented actress, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She's about to break out of this crazy bunker and she finally gets out. It's like, you've been waiting the whole movie for this extremely tense, fraught moment for her to bust out of this, of this intent, you know, high stress situation. Wait, are we spoiling the- 10 Cloverfield Lane too? <laughs> I am spoiling God. 10 Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> the madness. But not Last of Us Part 1. But, but not Last of Us Part 1, that's right. She, she, she emerges from the bunker smash cut to the beginning of the movie and then you experience the entire thing from John Goodman's perspective. Uh, I, I don't think anyone would ever do that. Like, and, and it is an incredibly frustrating storytelling decision, in my opinion, to just like, you're at the, you're the height of like, oh my gosh, the entire game has been building to this point. And then smash cut to I'm viewing the thing from the other perspective, and also I'm restarting three days ago. You know, you know who doesn't do that, game, Dave. That's not what the game's building to. Wait, wait, but there's so many. Yeah, wait, a lot, huh. lot of people attack me at once. At the same time, <laughs> have at me. Have at me. Go ahead. <laughs> I, want, I have I I have comments about no, Ten go, Cloverfield Lane. Go ahead, wait, first I am time, the just... most I am the most qualified person here to talk about <laughs> Ten Cloverfield Lane. I bought a ticket to that movie not to watch it. I bought a ticket to show the realities of what buying a ticket to a movie can mean. Not to watch. <laughs> movie about it um I, Jeff, I just want to say because i want to hear yeah you know who do, you know who what does do that tell me george R. R. martin yeah so i was just gonna say i was gonna say get tv game of thrones breaking and bad they all, super oh. well <laughs> <laughs> i'm no, talking about the I mean, books Dave, that's a very con that's there's i don't understand i mean you're comparing the if if, if this game did that on hour 20 i think we'd all be a little bit like geez louise but it doesn't. I think it. I think comments about amount aside, like it does. It does all that stuff at a very appropriate amount of time, given the breadth of of the game and the breadth of games of its genre and games in general. Um, you know what else kind of does that? Pulp Fiction. Yeah, so many things. So many things. So many great works, and including this one. That was I thought what incredible. And by the way, my experience. By, by, my by, experience. Wait, 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 wait. Go ahead. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> 
what I thought was a really genius call is you start the game with Abby. So it's not like it, that's like starting the, the thing where you think John Goodman's the protagonist and then you switch to Marilyn's. I don't even want to talk about this that way. But <laughs> also, I will say too, talk okay. about being ahead of the narrative that, you know, in the trailers for Tangle River Lane, it shows her running around outside. And the the big question of the movie is, will she be outside or not? Will she make it outside? What's outside? And what I think is hopefully rewarding about the experience is that is the steps, the nuances along the way are surprising. It's not just what is the end surprising and the end is, you know, crazy in a different way. But, um, well, I understand a lot of you think, think my analogy is bad and I should feel bad and that's okay. Um, <laughs> hey, I've I, been there, buddy. I've I, I been think there. that, but I think <laughs> you've been there, Joe. I think that, um, uh, and, and some people in the chat room were broadcasting this live are saying like, it's a different medium. And I'm pretty sure I made exactly that point and gave that huge caveat right before, you know, with the Alan Moore thing. Um, it doesn't matter. People, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter though. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I said three minutes ago, but I, so I acknowledge that it is different, but I think that like, it, it would be different if, you know, you're watching Pulp Fiction and then one of the segments is, you know, 10 hours long. Like Dude, I, I just my think, experience, Dave, my quick, experience, real quick, of, real quick, real quick. Sorry. <sighs> And that's not the culmination. That's Abby killing Joel is the inciting incident. The, the The conclusion is Ellie and Abby on the beach in Santa Barbara. That's what it builds to. And that happens at the end. The, the timeline of when things happen, one that does happen chronologically later. But the fact that you see the, the, the death scene early and then jump back into earlier moments of that, that's still the, the flashpoint for this story, right? Because it's a culmination of Abby's training, getting her to this point to do this thing. And Ellie's culmination of her story of who she is, having meaning, having a point, uh, having family, having all of these things, right? And so that's the that's the match being lit. But that's not the end of that game or the story. Uh, so to me, it doesn't seem like they start at the end and then and then flash you around. The end is is that fight. Well, I, and I Dave, are you saying fun. that you just did not like playing what you like? Last of Us is a very pure story, and this is a very complicated. By the way, I think Godfather to Godfather Two is like one of the most apt comparisons to the two games. But you're, well, I, it I just sounds think, like uh, what you're saying is that you just did not enjoy having to go back and play Abby. Um. Uh. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I just I'm interrogating my own feelings on it copy live publicly which is that yeah. like i'm super engrossed i was actually like pretty engrossed in the game at that point right i'm like oh uh what's gonna what's gonna happen we're reaching this moment and then for the game to just take a 10-hour detour uh can i tell you yep can i tell you, yep, can I tell you my ex my experience yeah, of reading please. every game of thrones book all of the song of ice and fire yes is what you're describing that's my experience of reading those books you, you are in a chapter and you're like, oh my God, this is insane. And you get up to a point and they're about to cut Ned Stark's head off. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, did they cut it off? And it goes, new chapter. Here's a new person somewhere else on the planet doing something else. <laughs> and you're like, what? When do we get back to this? When do we get? I was just, I want to find, is Ned alive? Is he dead? What's going on? I, I We were in the perspective of his daughter and I think she saw him dead, but she hit her eyes at the last second. And I don't, I don't know if he's alive or dead. All I care about is whether he's, go back to this, go back to this. And then because it's a book, I read the next page, which is the new chapter and i go god i do not want to be reading about this person i don't care about this person right now all i care about is where we just were why are we here and then 15 pages into that chapter i'm like all i give a shit is about, is about this person 
oh my God. And we get to the end of that chapter and it, he leaves it on a cliffhanger there. And I go, no, I don't want to leave this. This is the one thing I care about most. And that that is the entire process of reading those books for me. And so I very much understood what was happening in, in this game where you get to this point where all you care about is what is Ellie going to do when she finally sees Abby and, and the game goes, nope, here's information you need before you can even process that moment. And so it goes, it puts you in this other perspective. And now when you get back to that moment, when you're outside that theater in the rain and you know exactly what's going on inside that theater, you have more information than the characters you're playing do. And you go, I know what's at stake. I know who I am to those people. I know what's about to happen when I break in. It, it, to me, it is so much richer, so much more interesting. It's fucking back to the future. You know, it's like, it's, oh my God, now I know the other side. I know what's going on, what's at stake outside this experience for all these other sides of the prism. And I, that's exactly what I think that the, the point of what the game is doing. It's not saying, hey, you know, I just want to go and, you know, extend the length of this experience. It's trying to show you, hey, you don't have enough information to even contextualize this moment yet. Jeff, what that moment that I remember just being so floored as that was progressing. And of course it's something that is inevitable. And, and, and also moments like that in Pulp Fiction, moments like that in other movies where now we're seeing it from another character, Rashomon, right? But in this format, play, knowing that location so intimately because of I, the way I experienced it through one character's in one character's shoes and then exploring it as somebody else, you have to break into the game yeah. doesn't let you just walk in. You have to like break into that place that you've walked into so many times. It, yeah. It's so powerful. And you're so connected. Okay. You're so connected to that person at that time and knowing what might trend and hoping that it doesn't, but using the knowledge of like what you had already done in the other, that's something that movies can't provide. I guess books can, but um, and shows sometimes do, but, but not, not, you just don't, you're not as connected. And Dave, the thing that there, the one criticism I have of the game, um, was that the ending made me feel like, oh, well, the way I experienced the ending, which it was not actually, which we can get to, but it Your made PS4 me feel like, died oh, with like two hours left in the game. Like what, what happened? No, it made me feel, it made me feel like, Oh, this was Ellie's story. And Abby was just in it. And up until that moment, I, what I was loving was that, Oh mm. no, this is, it's, it, this is the story of these two characters. Yeah. And it sounds yeah. like your criticism was you, you thought you were playing Ellie's game and now suddenly you have to play another character. And what I relished in was, that I'm, I felt way more connected to Abby and her story, um, and was sort of sad that the conclusion didn't, and 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 I did not stick around for the end credits and the menu game menu screen to know that actually there was a really elegant, poetic, profound way yeah. to conclude. And if and if I had had that moment, I would have felt very differently, and I would have it's like so nailed good. me. I yeah. unfortunately learned after the fact about that. 
That was pretty um, good. You're referring to like the boat on the shore at the end, yes? The boat on the shore with the Santa Barbara yeah. landmarks. No, no, no. Catalina. It's Catalina. Catalina sorry, Catalina. I yeah, know. Yeah, Catalina. Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that, that it's a very. Lo- it's I. I thought it was very beautiful. Actually, yeah. My that, that menu. Yeah. My the way I found that out was days later. <laughs> a friend of mine texted me. We were talking about the moment, and he sent me a video of his. Uh, his screen playing the game and he panned to the menu screen. He had just finished and he panned over to a poster on his wall of Catalina with that build. Like he happens to have a friggin' poster on his wall. And he was, so I can't imagine his like realization of like, Oh my God. And I just didn't unfortunately have it in real time. Um, yeah. So just to articulate explicitly what you're saying is that like uh, it's the implication of the menu screen that you get after the game is over is that Abby makes it to the Fireflies location. Yes. Right. So and, thus and it's a very beautiful, elegant way of doing it. I agree. Her story. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I think that's a big I think as I think back on all the criticism I've been reading of the game and watching of the game, I feel like so much of it is they thought that people wanted Joel and Ellie's story and they were that's what they were going to get. And they got something different. Um and it wasn't quite what they had wanted. Didn't really meet the game on its own terms, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so cl- clarifying a couple of things. First of all, Jeff, I think our plan for you to moderate and take some heat off me from people who love the game is going super well. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you're welcome. But, second, but secondly, I think that uh, uh, number one, I think like there's there's a couple parts to my feelings on it, which is one, I'm like, I'm super engrossed in this uh ellie storyline and then all all of a sudden cutting away and um i I guess i don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that i think you guys are right about that right like there's many stories and and, you know tv shows and books or whatever that have done that and it's been like it's worked out and but i think like when you talk about game of thrones you're talking about like the execution is so ridiculously good right that um it makes you you marvel at the craft right and there's certainly like really good craft to be found in this game as well but i don't know that on a storytelling perspective it's quite as complex and rich as a game of thrones to make it worth the to make the detour justifiable for me personally for other people it may be right yeah, but that's to me, kind it's of not a, it's, it's not a detour like that's hmm, that's yeah. that's the road you know like and i at least for me it's like yeah, I I reacted to playing as Abby to, to now playing again as this character who I just, you know, had had witnessed brutally murder um someone I'd spent 18 hours with or whatever it was in the first game and Joel and and have heard these horrible things about, you know, from Ellie's perspective and the things they've done and 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 learning about the WLF and kind of what this life is and and like as you go through the city in seattle and you you see these people that try to survive outside of the wlf's protection and what they did to them and you know it really paints this picture and then to get that like i wish i it's just like a you know you're ripped away from that and you're you're the controls in your hand and you're playing abby and you're playing who's been painted as this as the villain or as the antagonist it again i think it's something that's beautiful about the medium where I have to push forward. I have to engage with this character that I don't like, but I think by design. Um, and I, I need to push her story forward versus like a TV show. It happens, a, you know, a book. Yeah. You got to turn the page, but here I have to do it. I have to interact with this game and push this character forward. And in doing so help her achieve her goals and, and goals that initially I'm not sure if I'm on board with. 
And then as I spend time as her, you know, you learn about her character, why she's done the things she's done, how I think Dan said this earlier, how it's like, well, maybe she's better than Ellie because you've already done a bunch of horrible things as Ellie. And you're there. She she stops Ellie from, you know, being killed in the first place, her and Tommy. Um, And she steps in there and you but you don't hear what she says is Ellie's perspective, too, which I think is brilliant and beautiful because you are Ellie in that moment. Like the blood is ringing in your ears. You're not dialed in and listening. And so I think the way it plays with perspective, and this isn't um, the outer worlds, this isn't fallout, right? This isn't, you know, Christian adventuring in world. This is their story. And the fact that it is these character stories, but I'm interacting with it and, and still have to have agency to push it forward is so emotionally compelling um, and now listening to this conversation, I think you guys are right. I think I'm going to go buy this game. It sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's really why we are here to make sure that Christian yeah. maybe plays this or tries it. You know, he, he, he was I, on the fence for the entire recording session of the podcast, and now yeah. he's we finally pushed him over the edge. Um, I guess I just want to make clear that I don't think that inher- it's inherently wrong to switch to another character's perspective, and I actually agree it's quite subversive. Um, I think that just it's it's really the execution, right? It's really just the the length of the amount of time you spend as that character um, and what you spend doing as that character, right? Which I, I, I know for you guys, you don't feel this way about it. But for me, it really did feel kind of like a side quest. Theoretically, you're finding out more about like what this character is going. She She's having, coincidentally, she is having the most consequential important days of her life at the same time as Elias, right? She is going through this thing where she's like saving these people, realizing that all that she believed was a lie. Um, I don't, you know, it didn't, it didn't just didn't quite work for me at the low because you have 15 hours up on Ellie than you do on Abby. You know, like you just have so much more, uh, connection with her that you've built up through the first game. And so for me, it just didn't quite work at the same level. And, um, and so, uh, 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 you know, I know I'm going to get completely torched by our listeners for this review. I just want to make sure I'm torched for the right reasons. You know? Oh, I that's doubt all- that. I don't, I think there's plenty of people in your camp. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I've certainly heard from them, but the, the, <laughs> from a purely motivational standpoint, I'm much more on it. I thought this was Abby's game. I really related much more to Abby than, than Ellie because from Abby's perspective, your dad is going to save the fucking world. I guess I can't say that because we're on DLC. Your dad. You've sworn a going, lot already, Jeff. Just go with it. You're editing it. Just let it go. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. Your dad is going to save the world. And not only is that prevented, I mean, literally every day after that moment that you have to go through hell in this post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic nightmare hellscape you you feel like this doesn't need to be happening right now every Every friend that's turned yes yes, every single person person that gets bitten and and dies every single moment plus your dad whom you love is gone Yes, I would want to destroy that person. Too. I, I would feel like that is the worst crime against humanity that anyone could do. It's 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 so much worse than what Abby does, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. And one of the things about the game that I think, you know, I, I've been spending a lot of time talking about what I don't like. But one of the things I like about the game is how it brings forth this idea of duality, right? Like um, the the ads for this game 
are about duality, right? You see, there's this really beautiful. I've been, I haven't stopped listening to this cover of True Faith that plays in the commercial for this game. Um, it's the Lottie Kester version, slightly different, but um, you see her playing guitar, and she's kind of there with Dina, and then it cuts to her about to like take out a bunch of scars, right? And it's like, oh, the same person can love someone else deeply and also murder a bunch of dudes, right? And and you see like revenge takes these two characters along these very different paths. Ellie is physically very scrawny and um, and skinny, and Abby is quote unquote built like an ox, as the game describes, right? Um, Abby is afraid of heights. Uh, Ellie wants to go to space, you know, like, and you, you kind of, there's this really interesting mirroring between the two of them. Like the, Abby actually takes the good path, right? She, she gets all that revenging out of her bones. And then she's like, I'm done. I don't need to kill the uh, brother and the, and the kid, you know, I'm, I'm done. Uh, and Ellie can't let it go until it co- completely consumes her. And I, I, I like that. I like the way uh, the, in concept, I like that, you know, um, the game is kind of bringing those mirror images to life in this way. So to, to me, one of the, the things that I find uh, so surprising about the post release discussion of this game mm-hmm. and is in my opinion, a compliment to the game is that all the conversations are the conversations that we've been having all of the conversations. And to me, that's what great art is. No one has been talking about the like, straight up dozen incredible action sequences and set piece moments that this game delivers that are as good as anything naughty dog has ever done as good as anything any video game has ever done just any any movie anything any story i mean that yeah yeah there are so many incredible set pieces i haven't heard anyone talk about them right because the narrative is so compelling and so divisive and so challenging it is a ch- i mean you talk about video games being challenging and it's a problematic term because it's so easily misinterpreted as being difficult to complete or something like that you know a, a, a dexterity challenge when this game is challenging in the ways that we've been talking about is how do you feel about this what do you think of these people do you agree with what you're forced to do and because that is such a strong element and is so powerfully expressed and forces you to make those have those thoughts so much of what makes it just an incredible video game piece of work like a a, a craft in the analog of video games is completely overlooked well, it's, think- it's amazing also to add to that i think so much of the conversation centers around abby and ellie as they are you know, main figures of the game, but, you know, I could do a whole nother hour about Tommy and about Dina and how they're fleshed out and realized and what they add to this story, right? Like it's, I mean, there's Owen and Mel, there's the beautiful line of, of Dina, uh, when they're back at the farm towards the end. And it's like, you know, I'm paraphrasing and Ellie's like, you know, you're fine with all this, but I'm not. And she's like, you, you think I'm fine? Like, you know, how dare you? I just don't let this, you know, Dina has been without a family since she was 10. Like she, it, it kind of felt like a nice mirror moment back to the last of us part one. When, uh, Joel, it's like the beautiful moment. Joel kind of claps back at Ellie and he's like, you're not my daughter. You don't know what loss is. And Ellie's like, everyone I've loved has been taken from me. 
And then we 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 see that in Left Behind. And and here we're getting this moment of Ellie having that with Dina. She's like, you don't understand. You don't know what it's like. And Dina's like, I you don't know what it's like? Jesse's dead. Everyone I've ever loved has died. My family was ripped away from me at a very young age. I you're going the wrong way, Ellie. This isn't right. And Ellie's like, I have to do this. And George, and George Lucas would be proud. because uh, it rhymes. Um but <laughs> Can you talk about that. There's several awesome things that I that Jeff, you made a freaking great point about the conversations about this game, and they're not even including the things that we normally talk about in video games. But I would because you just brought up the the farm, like that sunset house that like Andrew Wyeth inspired. Yeah. It is one of the most gorgeous places I've been to. Photo photorealistic, I would argue. Yeah. I would love to spend. I wish I had that as a like a mini game that like flower or whatever that I could just like <laughs> yeah. spend time in. Why can't it, it needs to be an there? Airbnb be is what it needs to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also a genius. For, first of all, like the fact that the game does that is unreal. It does. It reminded me of the like uh, Battlestar Galactica like three years later. Like the fact that that's what it you know where it goes linearly is amazing. And, but that sequence was so filled with, on the one hand, beauty, but so much tension for me. I wonder if you guys had the same experience of like, oh, no, don't be a dream sequence. Like, yeah, don't be yeah. a dream sequence. And it keeps yeah. going. You go. And then you're like, oh, no. Like, oh, thank God it's not a dream sequence. And then you're like, oh, no, no, no. Wait, I hope it's a dream sequence. Like, oh, no, is it a nightmare sequence? Like, there's, I just never quite... Yeah. And then I was like, oh, the no, part, really the part where you have to go outside with the baby and, yes. and rustle up the sheep. I'm exactly. like, oh, this is definitely a dream sequence. Right. Oh, no. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like, oh, no, it's not going to be dream sequence, but something bad's really going to happen in reality. Like, and then, and then you just, just remarkable. Um, also, Jeff, as you mentioned, set pieces, like there's this truck sequence in, I don't know, which portion of the game. Um, yeah, can we? I was, I was wondering, can we just talk about like favorite sequences? I think that might be. Yeah, like that. There's so many. That there's so many. That that I think equals or rivals Children of Men or or um, Let Let Me In. Like it's such an incredible. I, I looked at it again today. Wait, wait, which remind, sequence are you referring to, Dan? Is it the one where they're like being attacked and he and Jesse's driving the vehicle? Yes, Jesse's driving the vehicle. You're you're you know, and yeah. by the way. I mentioned. To, I, I should have said up front too, like, like Christian. I, I'm friends with people at Naughty Dog. I, I know Neil Druckmann, um, and so you know, feel free to not care about what I say because it would be seem biased or whatever. But um, I think, uh, like, I texted him, like, John Woo is to doves what Neil Druckmann is to trucks. Because <laughs> um, every game he's worked on has had an, an, an incredible truck sequence. Yeah, it's true. And this like takes the cake now. It's not and and watching it back is cool. Um, but the, it just it just makes me just anyone who's ever talked to me about you know video games having an opinion on video games and they don't play game they watch people play them or you know like it is watching that back is 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 as thrilling as a movie would be. But playing it when you are like trying, I just, I wasn't breathing during that scene and trying to make a shot while the car is doing what it's doing. And then the surprise of, of Jesse stabbing the thing and the door closing and slamming the guy, like just, there's so many details that it didn't have to have and it still would be very good. Then it has those details that are just like, wow, this is masterful storytelling. And I felt the same thing revisiting the, that sequence 
that I'd forgotten about was in the teaser from a couple of years ago, the long oneer of of Abby being choked and when you meet Yara and um Lev, oh, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But that that sequence is if that were in a movie, it would be nominated for I mean, like that was the most taught it just I, And then perfect. following that, when you're running through the dark that whole sequence running through the forest at night when they drop the the torch and you have to fight a couple of times. It's oh, like, God, yes. Oh, yes. yes. I mean, if we're talking favorite scenes for me, it's hands down uh, the Tommy pursuing Tommy across the bridge. Yes. I was going to say you're, too. you're yeah. sniping. It's, it's, he's it's sniping a great to, sequence. Yeah. To yeah bring that infected to you the whole, and then the, it throws a curveball. Did you know it was him the, the whole time? That's the thing. I, did, I didn't know it was him. And then, you, when you realize it's you're like because you're playing and you're like f this guy I hate this freaking guy yes and then you finally catch that's up and you realize like isn't that that's something that you cannot that a is not oh I knew the game was gonna do that the whole time and it's not just trite like oh revenge I get it revenge is bad and you don't get it in kill Bill or any other movie payback or a movie about revenge and eye for an eye or or a Pulp Fiction movie that plays with perspective. You don't get those moments where you are feeling frustrated about this antagonist and want to take care of them. And and then the second that you realize who that person, it's like, and they kill your butt. Like, and you're like, uh, it, it's what a profound experience to give to people <laughs> to have that, you know? Um, yeah, there's I, no I, other, there's nothing like that. I think what I'm trying to make clear, right, is that there are many sequences from the game that I loved. And, like, I, I wish know. the game had more of that kind of stuff, right? You know, I didn't the, – the whole Abby side quest thing, that's the thing that I – it's it's really well, honestly like, things like – That was a the, part of the side quest, though. I know, I know, but it's like – I just don't yeah. think it's a side quest. No, I know. I, 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 know, I, know, I, know I know how you guys feel about it. I mean, I think that um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the thing that uh, I was going to say was um, – oh, the, my favorite sequence, honestly, is – um, uh, early on when you play as Abby. Uh, this is before Seattle even happens. Um, and you're playing as Abby. And um, y- there's this whole sequence where like you're crawling through this this gap between this fence and this shack. And the like the infected are just yes. like reaching at you, and Ugh. it's just like you're you're like freaking terrified. They're grabbing things chase. off of your person, yeah. and Ugh. then one of the infected like comes through the fence and like attacks you, and you, it's on top of you. And then all of a sudden, Joel comes out of nowhere, executes the the infected, and then you're like running away from the. There's this huge chase sequence with the thing. You're running away, and you realize like. It's it, it was this great kind of unsettling feeling because you 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 have a feeling that Abby's like going after Joel, but you, you're not a hundred percent sure. And then when you realize that that is in fact the case, it's horrifying. Uh, that whole sequence of events, how that played out, uh, I thought was awesome. So that was kind of my that, that was early on in the game. So I love that part. Yeah, very early enough that you kind of forget how amazing those moments are by the time you are you know survive the end of this game. Um, Dan, I, you know, I'm struck by your comparison. Again, I get in trouble for comparing things to other things, but I'm struck by your comparison to the Godfather because I think, I think it is a very good comparison because David's a bit like you saying, Hey, I'm so excited for the sequel to the Godfather to find out more about Michael Corleone. Why are we spending all this time on Vito Corleone? I don't care about that. You know, it's like that. That's what Godfather Two did. Is like, oh, half the movie is about Vito and Vito's story. 
I, I just think, again, I have no issue with that. Love Godfather 2. I, I do think it's a different thing when instead of half a movie, it's half a 25-hour game. That's all I'm saying. For me, just like the – it's really like the excess of the game that, is, that I'm, I, I took issue with uh, and, and finding the game like exhausting in many ways as opposed to in concept – uh, I'm, I am not saying in concept you should not have put me in the shoes of this other, this other character. I actually really like that. I uh, but I just think it's the execution and the grueling nature of it and the fact that like you need to murder so many people um, and like I'm already I already get it. Like the revenge is bad. Like you don't need to keep killing these people, you know, put down just, the pipe, Abby. Um, I, anyway. I, I do agree with that. Is because Christian, you kind of mentioned something about this as well in defense of it. And I just want to point out that like I agree that the game does need length and breath. Like it's why it's more comparable to a TV show than a movie. It's in, and it's so TV shows impact us in a certain way because of the length of time we spend with characters. And this game does need that for, and I love that it has time for the quiet moments and all those things. Yeah. It's not about my, my, my criticism about amount that I think would solve not only Dave's criticisms, but many criticisms is more in the, uh, amount of times I have to hit a button and I don't, and then I got to get a battery for it and get a ladder and drag it over. Right. It's, 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 which the game should have. It's just the amount of it all um, that is, feels like shoe leathery um, that is not informing. Um, and then there's also, you know, there's so amount. many drawers I had to open that had nothing in them. <laughs> Every time I opened a drawer, it had nothing in it. I was like, that's uh, three seconds did, of my life. I did I'm find an back. interesting, <laughs> Because everything was so sparse and because it, the game was so emotionally affecting that I did scour more often than I would in a game where it's like, okay, find an unlockable in a drawer, you know, like, you know, uh, Bioshock or something. Like I, I just, or turn over every trash can. Like I really did feel the need to, to hope to find some tape or some, you know, something because I, because it was in so, um, rare supply you know i wonder and i'm curious how games or maybe how this game specifically or other games too can tackle this because i'm curious too dave for like how you played this game like how how many days how quickly how long were your play sessions where i know like in tv a lot of us binge you know it's sit down oh i i watch all of succession and you know a, a day and i think for me a reason i kind of bounced off game of thrones early is that I got into it late and I watched like five seasons in a weekend, you know, like clearly I'm exaggerating, but I watched a lot of it and I was like, oh, I feel like I was watching the matrix and it was just like introduce character, make me love character, kill character, introduce character, make me think character's good, learn character's bad, introduce character, make me love character, kill character. Introduce, and I was just like, I can't not see what's, ah. Uh. And I think a lot of us play video games. Like I, I got a weekend, you know, Door closed. Here we go. I'm, I'm playing this game. And I, I know that the games have tried with like episodic and things like that. And I mentioned TV shows, people binge them, but they still have like end points. And this game has a lot of moments that do let, you know, let you breathe. And I love so many of those moments in this game. Yeah. But nothing forces you to put the controller down. Like I don't want a Nintendo like, hey, you've been playing some emotionally traumatic stuff for an hour for a walk. Like I'm not looking for that. Yeah. But I do wonder, Dave, like you watched you were... Luigi beat, <laughs> beat uh... Luigi just caved Mario's head in. <laughs> All of those people you killed are now ghosts. Luigi has to vacuum up. Um, <laughs> but like, I do wonder if 
you know, you were forced to put the controller down and like have a week between these things. Like it doesn't feel like a burden. It's a, you're letting the emotion kind of wash over you. And I don't have an answer for that, but I did find um, myself like the circumstances in which I was playing the game. um, I wanted to experience all of it for this project I was working on and it had a very real deadline, but there were still moments this project. That's so the the podcast, Uh, (laughs) the dumbest thing I've said. And I've said a lot of dumb things, Uh, but I was still, I was like, I got to put the controller down. I'm not going to barrel through this. Like I need to walk away. Um, And then my last point, Jeff, I think for you, the lesson learned is you're only allowed to compare things to God of war from now on. Like you have to Mm -hmm. do. Yeah. Yeah. Stay safe. (laughs) Don't rile anybody up. (laughs) Direct comparisons to God. I I think that's a great, I think that's a great point, Christian. You know, I think that if I had uh, consumed, I I basically played the whole thing in within 48 hours. Um, That's brutal, man. Yeah. 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 So I think if I had played it a little bit, you shot, you shotgunned this game. I shotgunned it (laughs) just like Abby shotgunned Joel's leg. In the beginning of the game, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, the game was a I mean, shotgun. It's, it's, as Joel it's a bit like you know shotgunning a whiskey or something. You know, it's a bit like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it is. It's a, it's a an experience that I don't know it was necessarily intended for that. And I think a lot of people are. You know, a lot of people want to get through it. We talked about this on the slash filmcast yeah. about this idea of like not wanting to get spoiled and trying to get through it as fast as possible to ensure that it's a it's a tricky thing but also I, actually I think, i'm the uh, opposite of you guys I, I mean it might be because of my poor memory but i'm jealous of that experience dave that like you got to i think it was designed uh in a grand way not in a not in the nitty-gritty of it but in a grand way it's a design to be this is an experience in one breath it's, it's such a complete story it's yeah. not episode it's such a complete story that um i feel like you got you had the opportunity to have a really profound experience that when I play and put things down and stuff, like I think that was a part of why I felt a little unsatisfied in the end is I, unfortunately my play session, which normally I would pay for like two hours every night. Like I had, wherever I had stopped on my last session, I only had an hour of play and then the game ended. And I was like, uh, wait, what? That's that. Right. Just something felt wrong. Uh, and, for, and the game, the game, you know, uh, not that it should. I can't even imagine how it would do this, as you as you indicated, Christian. But like, the game does very little to guide you in terms of what the peaks and valleys of the story are, right? So, yeah. I, I, I was always, I always was on edge. I was like, okay, should I take a break now? Maybe something extremely interesting is about to happen, right? And I don't want to miss it because I'm really in the zone right now with the game. Mm, um, yeah. And yeah. But, the other know, thing, yeah, go ahead. the other thing about the length for me was that. You know, we talk a lot about Ellie's story, Abby's story, the character stories. I was so fascinated by the world's story. I I, I think the environmental storytelling in this game is yes. unmatched, unmatched. I mean, I've gone on at length about how much I love Bethesda's world storytelling. And there are other game companies and games that do it very well. This is on a, a completely other level. And it's because of the fidelity. It's because of the attention to detail. Every single thing in the world seems thought through and thought out. And you walk into a room and you immediately kind of understand the story of the people who lived there. You go into a place and you see how that place has broken down, what happened to it. It, it is, yeah. for me, that that was one of the benefits of the length is that it was a lot of places to go and things to look at and things to see and so much detail. Yeah, the, I really appreciated the segment in the Last of Us podcast plug in which uh, they talk about this, right? Like they they want to make sure every location 
tells a story about what happened there. Like you can look at it and understand the sequence of events that led to this happening. And I think because the, the graphics, the visuals are so good in the second game, um, they it really takes it to another level in terms of what they're capable of doing there. Uh, I, I think also the level design in general, exquisite. It, it feels a lot less, it, or from a aesthetic perspective, looks a lot less video gamey to me. And I say video gamey as a pejorative, meaning like it it fe- feels like an actual place that I could actually go to, and like the the way that the game guides you to the next location uh, feels very organic compared to the first game, which felt more like. Oh yes, it's this massive white, like yellow stripe there. And yes, there's a lot of that going on in this game too. But it, because of the visual fidelity to real life, it feels a lot more subtle in this game. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I often I, felt like I was discovering things that I'm sure they wanted me to do, but I felt like I was doing it. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. I will say, a very interesting experience to be playing this game um, with the, the WLF. Uh, and this game takes place in in Seattle. Most of the game is in Seattle. At the same time that we were having a Capitol Hill occupied protest here in Seattle, yeah. and it's just like wow, like, w- and then there's so many times when <laughs> Ellie goes through some cr- like massive ordeal, and then she's like, "F Seattle, I hate this city," you know. And I'm like, "What is the United States vision of Seattle that they're getting right now?" You know, between this the chop and also. Uh, this, <laughs> this game, game, you know, like what is what are people perception of Seattle? <laughs> okay. Um, I you know I know we we've been going for like seventy minutes, Jeff. Uh, we yeah, haven't even really got, talked about the ending yet. So, but so I don't know if you have more time, or I don't know if any of you guys I, have more time. I have children that yes. need uh, tending. Uh, I don't know if you want to say something quickly about the very end. Nah, no, it's okay. We'll we'll just leave that for a future conversation at some point. For after but the credits. For after the yeah. credits at some point. Um, I thought this was a fantastic conversation. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed talking about it you guys. Thank you for uh, not completely tearing my arguments to shreds, but leaving them mostly intact. Um, yeah. But it's it's really fun to talk to you guys because obviously I respect everyone here and uh, everyone here has various talents and knowledge as it relates to storytelling. So um, thanks for the conversation, yeah. guys. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.